Hello and welcome to another Plane Talk. I'm joined by the man known as Watchflake, but surprisingly, his parents did not name him that. Uh, Watchflake, what would you like me to call you during the interview? Uh, Flake is fine, or Matt. I mean, Matt is my real name. Uh, that's what's on my driver's license and all that other stuff. So, I mean, whichever, uh, Flake or Matt, either Flake whichever. Uh, what do you want? What do you prefer, my friend? I'm good with that. I mean, I go, I went to high school, so I've been called all the worst things ever. I went to college, <laughs> university, stuff like that. Like I've been, um, I I used to bartend for five years. I was uh, uh I did a lot of stuff on stages. So I've been, mm. I've been heckled and catcalled and yelled at, all kinds of things. So, no. uh, hey nerd, you <laughs> clown, uh, whatever. It's all good. That uh, is, that's I'm not honestly, the bar. Was... That's not the bar I want you to give me. Saying like. That'd be like saying, as long as you don't call me like the worst things I've been called online when playing video games, then I'm, oh, I'm good. Okay. Mm, that yeah. is, you're yeah. sitting in high school as the bar of things to call you. That's like the lowest bar you could come up with, except maybe, maybe online is a little worse. I've been called some pretty nasty things in League of Legends before. Uh, <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like <laughs> anything that won't get you banned from Overwatch. Like you can call me yep. anything. Like that's the thing. But oh yeah, I've played enough Overwatch in my life Overwatch. where I, I know that... Uh, Based purely on the character I choose, I am probably X Y Z racial slur uh, according to the yeah. <laughs> according gotta, to the, uh, the the internet. So I, I, it doesn't make sense to me, but yeah, I'm so I love Overwatch because it's a game I've chosen to not become good at. Usually, when I play a game, I try to get competitive and learn all the stuff. I've deliberately chose that I will decided that I'm gonna just perpetually be bad at Overwatch. I don't want to be good. I like the feeling of being like garbage. I like the feeling of occasionally things working out and I don't know why they worked out, but like half their team is dead <laughs> and I want to savor that. Oh, it's such, it's such a great game and auto locking Widowmaker knowing I'm going to cause my whole team to oh. lose the game. It is the best feeling in the world. I have no regrets. I think in the grand scheme of <laughs> internet related, like gaming bad things to call someone, you either call them Hanzo mains or Instalock widows. And oh, yeah. it's just like, and both of those are, are equally bad in the eyes of the community. But I, I know you're kind. I totally get it. Uh -huh. I play uh, – I'm, I'm usually relegated to playing main tank, so I'm usually a Reinhardt. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a tough gig for yep. sure. But um, when you have a good team around, you're like, I can, I've gotten up to platinum as a, as a Reinhardt. And I have a friend of mine who is uh, – he used to be like a Grandmaster uh, uh -huh. Anna player. And – he like when we play together he's always he's always just like purely disgusted at the level of players that i play with <laughs> so you play with this crap i'm like but man i'm like i don't choose my players i i just queue as whatever and i either get helped or i don't and he's like yeah oh, this is the worst thing ever but yeah that's basically <laughs> it. i mean that is the nature of games all right all right let's focus on you for a second like where sure. You asked me to go out of my way to ask for a hard interview. You're like, don't pull any punches. And that's kind of hard to do in terms of, I mean, how many, how many things am I going to, you know, really dig into on? But I do have one in the long run, but we're going to build up to that. Sure. So let's start with your, from what I could tell, your goal in life is to be a caster. And you love CCGs. You love card games in general. So let's build up to this future ambition by starting with when you found your first card game. Was it Star okay. Wars? Uh, it was, in fact. Uh, I would say that I I started playing card games like CCGs as we all know them. Um, mm -hmm. Probably I was about twelve years old or so, 
and the uh, it's tough because I knew that Pokemon existed and it was just sort of okay. hitting the, its its stride. However, I never really got into it uh, at that point. What I started with was I had Star Wars CCG cards. Uh -huh. um, just I randomly, I don't know how someone may have gotten them or given them to me. And I, but they, the game was immensely complex. It is. It is mm -hmm. droves more complex than like magic or something like that. And when I was that young, I, I couldn't necessarily grasp all the rules. Plus, I didn't have a, a, a big enough collection to make decks. But there was another game that came out called Young Jedi, which was a very, okay. very simplified game. Uh, CCG, basically comparing numbers of like, this is greater than this, so I win this battle, blah, blah, blah. All right. um, which I got into because it was Star Wars based. And I was, of course, uh -huh. a massive Star Wars fan. And then as that became a little too easy for me, that's when I started really digging into Star Wars CCG by uh, the now defunct Decipher, uh, Decipher Incorporated, which was the company that made my all-time favorite card games, which is Star Wars CCG and Lord of the Rings TCG, two of the absolute best card games you will ever play in your entire life. Yeah, and I feel like it's the tough part about games as the business models change and all these niche games start to die away and other games spring up in their place, especially in the card game space, because it's a ruthless place, right? Magic the Gathering survived. You have all these online ones, which are extra difficult to compete with. And then you think like the little niche ones come and they go and they come and they go, but a lot of very, it's tough. It's a tough industry. And you, it's, mm -hmm. yeah, go for it. No, I was just, I was, no, I was just going to say, you're absolutely right. Um, I had this conversation with a lot of people in terms of, you know, when they asked me, you know, like, what makes a good card games? I've been playing card games for over like 20 some odd years and over the past five or six years fairly seriously. And yep. gar like magic survived because it was like the OG and yep. there was, a, there's a lot of value and it created a massive, massive following that is in, it, difficult to break. Hearthstone was the big splash in terms of the digital format mm -hmm. and that was had a backing you know of blizzard and again a lot of money and nowadays you know there's legends of runeterra which is yep. successful uh there's a bunch of other card games but the problem is is like you said the the, the market it seems like every couple of weeks there's something new that's shown up that is mm -hmm. maybe similar but maybe but but you know it's not different enough to really give it any kind of spotlight whereas i feel Gwent is the outlier in the sense that it is so much different than any other card game yes. that exists in that there's no life totals, there's three rounds, there's a management resource uh, element to it that is very, very important. It's not just playing on curve. So I think that it'll always have, uh, it'll always have a, a, as long as CCGs are still relevant, I think it'll always have a, a fan base, whereas mm -hmm. all these other CCGs that are coming out that are essentially clones and refined clones of Magic, um, it, it's going to be more difficult to survive. Card games like, um, and I say this working for these these, yes. car, these card companies as a caster, like Cards and Mythgard, etc. They're phenomenal games, but they're too similar to the 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 titans of the market mm -hmm. uh, that it's going to be difficult for them, as good as they are, to thrive because. The only reason something like Legends of Runeterra has uh, was able to sort of sustain that initial push is because it had Riot as its yes. backer with tons of money 100%. and marketing and push for it. Card games like Mythgard and Cards, I find, are superior card games, but they're indie small thing, you know, small market uh -huh. where they can't have grand tournaments, grand productions, grand marketing schemes, and it's unfortunate. But 
that's mm-hmm. kind of the way it goes. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to, to, no, to no, hijack the no, question there. You... It's just always unique to me where mm-hmm. um, where Gwent is positioned because it's hard to even compare Gwent to other card games when they say, what's your favorite? Is this better than this? Well, the rules set are completely different to me. You uh-huh. know, I find like it, they're they're different and it's hard to compare them. But Gwent, I feel, is unique enough that it'll always attract a, a certain type of player to play it as long as it's producing content. I completely agree. I think you hit the nail on the head for a couple of reasons. One, talking about the publishers. Legends of Terror got there because not only is it Riot Games with a ton of money, but the lore is fully developed. People are already attached to everything in this world. And if you love the world, you're going to love it even more because they're fleshing it out with the game itself. If you're like, oh, what's Demacia like? Well, here's all the Demacian characters that aren't the main ones. And so you have these already huge lore hook on top of a ton of money from Riot Games who is going to become basically the next Blizzard, right? They're going into every genre of game and trying to make their genre killer. Uh, they're, t- t- you know, Valorant taking out CSGO, or trying to take on CSGO. League of Legends yeah. already have taken on Dota 2, etc., etc. And that, and then when you come to Gwent, Gwent is, even though it has CDPR behind it, still a small indie-esque feel. It's a small yeah. team on this project, but it is different. It's a, somebody coming in from card games not saying, hey, how did Magic the Gathering work or Hearthstone work? Let's try to upgrade the systems a little bit, right? Hearthstone just sat there and said, oh, let's fix the mana system for Magic the Gathering that nobody likes, and then tweak a thing or two to simplify it down so it's good for a digital format. Mm-hmm. Magic the Gathering struggle on digital because the rules are so all over the place. Still, Magic the Gathering arena came along. But now you look at Gwen. Gwen's, Gwen's a monster, and I love it because it's addictive because it's totally different. You have the three-round system. You can play whatever card you want whenever you want. Who needs a resource system? The resources are the cards themselves because you're trying to win a round of as little as possible. It's not like Magic the Gathering. Like, I'm going to play my best card right now that does the most impact. What you're sitting there saying, yeah. okay, I can crush you by playing ball around one. If I play this card, though, I put a lot of effort into getting this into my deck. And if I play it now, I'm going to lose next two and I'm, you know, I'm out of the game. Oh, it's so different. And I think that's a huge strength to Gwent. I feel bad for like it. it would, mm-hmm. Go for it. I was, it. It'd be interesting. Like, imagine a game of Magic where it was at any point, like, you had, each player had 10 life, but there, uh-huh. you had to win three games with the same deck. And it's yep. like any time that the deck is. You know, at any point, a player could just say, all right, I concede. Like, you yep. overcommitted, I concede, we'll go to the next round. Everything's reset. Like, uh-huh. That would be, like, the board is wiped, everything's yep. off the table, and then, it, like, that would be, fa- like, that would be fantastic. I think that would be very fascinating, but that's mm-hmm. kind of the feel you get of, like you said, the resources are built into the cards themselves, in yes. both the fact that you have to balance it from a deck-building perspective with provisions, but also the fact that if I just want to dump my five strongest cards in round one and win it, I mm-hmm. can probably uh, feel that I'm not going to be winning round three uh, yes. later on because I've basically blown my load on on one round, right? Exactly. So it, it's definitely niche, and it's uh, it's tough for the casual player to just dive into because the general rule set of the game, it's not like you go from Magic to Rune Terror, like, okay, I know how combat works. I know what... First yes. strike or quick strike is. I know what life steal slash life gain slash whatever is. They're all essentially clones yes. of each other to a degree. Mini with names. like you said, refined rule sets. The every the best game will always be the more recent one because they're gonna take out all the garbage or all the neat like the mm-hmm. little problematic issues from the previous one and go forward. Um, that's why I like Mythgard so much is because 
the 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 mana system, the deck building, and whatever. There's like no restrictions. Mm-hmm. You build whatever you want, and you manage the mana the way that you want. But it's just tough to build. It's tough to make a card game uh, different when it it functions mm-hmm. like on a curve. You know, yeah. Uh, where it's just okay if I have my one drop, my two drop, my three drop, and they're all played in mm-hmm. succession. There's a good chance I'm going to win this game if I have efficient turns for the first three or four turns, right? Yeah, I think, and that to me is one of the downsides to a lot of the mana system games where you sit there, you build your deck, you're like, I have so many cool cards I can play in choices, but the, the games play themselves to a large degree. This would be my big complaint where I, oh, I have a one drop. I have my mana from Hearthstone or land to produce mana in Magic Gathering. It's like you play the land to play the thing. And if I have a spell, it's instant, and you know, maybe I'll do it at the end of your turn. The cards, you look at the numbers, look at the amount of access to resources you have, and you go. And this is where I think, yeah, Gwent nails it. You can do whatever you want. And that makes it so you have a very simplified rule set. You don't have to worry about mana. Just play whatever you want. But the complexity of the multi-round system is so addictive. Once it clicks, mm-hmm. you just can't go back because there's nothing else like it. And I wish more card games were bold to try new things like that, where you just say, hey, you know, maybe the issue with card games, one of the issues is mana systems aren't correct. Everyone's refining off of Magic the Gathering because Magic the Gathering is yeah. so wildly successful. But I, I, lo- I appreciate a card game pushing into truly new territory and trying to say, like, what else can we do with the genre? It's time for card games to get away from the life total system, the minion yes. battle. Like, try something different. That's, what I, that's why Star Wars and Lord of the Rings to me, were phenomenal because the mm-hmm. way that you win in either of those games was completely different. There was no, you're not attacking any face. It's you can control territories and battle your opponent or you can use uh, utilize strategies that really mm-hmm. just choke your opponent by controlling more area than they do if they want to sort of not go around you. And in Lord of the Rings, it was you build a fellowship you and you need to get, you need to advance from hobbiton to mount doom to go drop the ring in and every every stage of the journey every like every turn you can move one or two two stages up until and it's nine full stages and every time you move it's like a gamble does your opponent because your opponent is playing both fellowship and shadow which is the the enemy side to stop you so you either win by killing your opponent's frodo or you win by getting to mount doom and surviving the last onslaught there's no life total so it's really really fascinating how um there's just this insta cling to the basic rule set that framework of okay well uh, both players will have 20 health and there's minions, and there's an attack value, and there's a defense value. And that's the only way to build a card mm-hmm. game. Everything else after that will figure it out. You know, yes. all right, now we need a first strike uh, slash quick strike mechanic. We need a lifesteal mechanic. We need a death touch mechanic. Mm-hmm. We need some sort of armor mechanic. Yep. We need some sort of taunt or guard mechanic. Like, it just seems like they they there's this blueprint, and the latitude you have to, to create around it is rather limited because you're always forced into this framework. So those margins where you can mm-hmm. be creative are rather narrow. And and I don't, I just, I'm dying for something new. And now with like auto battlers coming out and new kinds of card games coming out, I think that just, it might've been a, a consequence of the fact that the market is just flooded with those style mm-hmm. of games. So there's no yep. room for other, for developers to come in and say, well, all right, it used to be just 
Hearthstone, and now it's Hearthstone and Magic, and now it's Hearthstone, Magic, and Runeterra <laughs> that are like really, really popular. Yep. Like, how do you wedge into that and become popular? You mm-hmm. know, so you can't, and and that's I uh, hopefully enough of a motivation for yeah. other developers to start looking outside of that blueprint, outside of that framework, mm-hmm. because not that it's it's boring, but it exists and it's yes. been refined. And like, why would I? You know, it, yeah. it's it's just something that uh, uh, I think is is if they don't stray away from it then ccgs as a as a genre are just gonna tank yes i agree so do you know i hope i have his name right waking up still do you know richard branson founder of like the virgin group it's like virgin music yes so he one time decided to get into the cola industry which sounds ridiculous except you realize this guy does music airplanes space travel when like telecom whatever whatever you imagine he'll try it and he decided one time he really wanted to get into cola. So he sat down, got a bunch of engineers to make a better cola than Coca-Cola, right? That's the juggernaut you need to beat. And he did. Uh, he had a taste test, blind taste test, he was smoking Coca-Cola. So he goes in the push to try to knock off Coca-Cola and push them, I think, out of England was the starting point. And Coca-Cola crushed him. They basically told every the supplier, like every market, if you want to run virgin cola, we're going to pull our product off your shelves and you need our product. And he got crushed. And his lesson there was, if I can't 10x the quality of a competitor that I'm in the industry I'm entering, I can't 10x them, it's not worth competing with. And I feel that a lot of card games are falling into that trap. They look at Magic the Gathering and say, aha, I can do something, you know, a little better in Magic the Gathering. I have a better mana system. I can have better combat. I can have better cards. And they're interesting, more interesting ways to win in interaction. But if you're not going to 10x what Magic the Gathering can do, or have a shot at it, why are you even there? You're just going right. to go there. They have nearly unlimited resources. Hasbro is a multi-billion dollar corporation. And right now their family jewel is Wizards of the Coast, specifically Magic the Gathering. And they will throw unlimited money at it to crush you. And they will crush you. So I feel bad for all these starting out games because they're coming in. They have the right idea. They're like, oh, I can make a better game. And they, they're right about that, but they're wrong about the quality level you can hit to take out something like a Magic the Gathering. Ah, but I've, so, I... Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I was going to say, so that now the, the, the best strategy that I've heard is a, is a uh, game like Flesh and Blood. I don't know if you've ever Ooh, played it or, or about heard it. about it or whatever. So uh, Flesh and Blood was introduced to me most recently uh, by What's Up Woody, and I've, uh, it's it's... It's called Flesh and Blood from like the developer's perspective because it's meant to only be an in-person game. Okay. Now the launch of this, which That's was cool. recent, is a tough timing because of yep. the fact that it's like all these <laughs> LGSs are closed and stuff, yep. so it's hard to actually get together. But now that things are opening up and whatnot, you could play it on tabletop simula- simulator. But um, like I've played a couple games of it, mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting. It does have a life total thing, but it's basically it's like two heroes that you equip, and the cards that you play are like the two players dueling each other for battle and damage and whatever. Right. But they have essentially said we're not doing the digital bazaar, so mm-hmm. we're gonna not invest money in it. We're just gonna invest money in the face-to-face so we're going to take on wizards of the coast from a paper perspective okay which in reality i think is pretty damn uh are... it's ambitious but it's also yes. smart because i don't think you're going to take on anything in a table in a digital genre nope. but if you're taking on that more limited space which is paper and such mm-hmm. um you're playing you're, you're starting off where players are not going to be as intimidated because the game is fairly new in a market where people are 
reluctant to buy Magic Gather Magic the Gathering paper products now because mm -hmm. unless you're a Fine. whale and you're buying tons of cards, it's hard to be competitive with the uh, the cost uh -huh. of the game in paper. That's true. So most people are are relegated to playing online because it's easier to build a collection and get bang for your buck there than it is to play in paper. And mm -hmm. not to mention the fluctuation of card prices, etc. You buy a card for twenty dollars next week, it's ten. Mm -hmm. Two weeks down the line, it's a dollar. You feel like you got cheated. Whereas, yes, you know, players will be more interested in this new game because Flesh and Blood is new. The card prices, even the best top performing cards, are not breaking the bank at hundreds of dollars. They're mm -hmm. like twenty bucks, and it's not the end of the world when, uh, you know, like you can get a competitive deck for like sixty dollars. Where if you want to play competitive Magic in standard, hundreds. you're probably paying upwards of about six hundred to a thousand bucks a year just right. to maintain mm -hmm. all the best cards yeah and i mean that's the nature of that magic the gathering model format model right you only play the last like two years of cards or roughly two years of cards and then you know next new set bumps off another you know set or series of sets and all of a sudden oh there goes 20 cards in your deck the new cards that added make the another 20 cards you own completely useless because they needed the other cards that just left to be valuable. And then new cards are making other cards valuable. And it all gets, it's just in flux. But if you want to play competitive Magic the Gathering, you're kind of out of luck. Unless you want to put down hundreds of dollars every year just to keep up. Now, paradoxically, yeah. I would say Magic the Gathering is moving away from the competitive scene. Which uh, I wanted yeah. to talk to you about because this, I feel, you asked for a hard interview. And this is where I wanted us to eventually go to is yeah, man. we haven't even touched on your casting or your their career there and your ambition there and i can't wait to get there but to get to what i feel like is the hard thing that i want to push you on and see what your thoughts are you love card games you're casting card games you're casting cards Mythgard, gwent and you'll cast other card games i'm sure especially as they appear you have interest in you have your hands in all kinds of games when i'm going through your twitter feed i'm like oh you played this card game and you played that card game and you played that card game if it's, it's, if it's a card game, you know of it, you've played it, and you potentially cast it. But paradoxically, we yeah. just saw Magic the Gathering. They did a huge push into competitive. The biggest I've ever seen them do. Put a million-dollar prize pool up. Tried to drum up a bunch of support. Get into the esports side of things, which seems to be popping. Now they announced they're cutting back the entire scene. No more, will no, no more career professional players. Prize pool drops from a million to 250000 huge cut is there really a future in esports and casting for in the competitive side for card games for card games i believe there is uh okay. because i think that there will always be a scene for it now the thing about it is that prize pools getting cut yeah that that hurts uh to a degree first of all uh, i remember when that video came out that video came out that from wizards of the coast mm -hmm. like a year and a half two years ago where it, they hyped it up as like yep be famous and uh you know get f like all kinds of fanfare and all this stuff like become uh -huh. a pro you at home like you uh -huh. timmy smith from <laughs> rhode island can be right. a pro like it was just and they did this whole video segment where it's like they show someone like coming out of a limo and there's like like mm -hmm. photographers and like a big <laughs> stage and it was all this production it's like yeah, yeah. million dollar prize pool it's like okay i get it like you're hyping it up like that was pretty damn cool and all of a sudden mm -hmm. they just yanked the rug from under you yeah where it's like oh shit well fuck, Ooh, sorry like big that, yikes it it, <laughs> it it was it was it was terrible for the people who have essentially um as odd as this sounds like people this is their 
there uh, much uh-huh. like there are people who make a living playing poker people play a li- make a living being competitive in card games this magic yes. pro scene is not something that would just spawn out of thin air magic mm-hmm. pro like pro scene has been around for decades it's been uh-huh. a big deal where you used to have to go to a fucking location and play in a massive swiss round tournament yep. place get points to be on the pro tour to go to the big tournaments it was a job and uh-huh. the thing is it's like you're cutting 75 percent of the prize pool it's like now all that work is for 75 percent potentially less dollars yes. that you can win so that big prize that might have been you know 50k is now uh, you know, it's oh now it's like seven thousand dollars. It's like well, I just went from like fifty thousand dollar prize for winning this tournament to like seven or ten thousand dollars, which is mm-hmm. a little bit annoying. But um, is there a future for it? I think there will be because there's always going to be a market for card games. And for myself as a caster, I'm not necessarily as worried. If you want to me to uh-huh. be completely honest yeah, with yeah. you, I I get paid either way. <laughs> like I, I, I hate to say it, like whether the prize pool for the event is ten thousand, fifty thousand, or a million dollars. I typically get the same paycheck no matter what the event is. And I appreciate that paycheck mm-hmm. because it pays my rent and I love that and it's great. But um, there will always be a tournament scene. I just mm-hmm. think that you're gonna see a you're gonna see a shift from um, you know, magic pros that may just decide, you know what, it might not be worthwhile for me to grind and win tournaments. It might be better for me to actually just start streaming and doing sponsorship deals mm-hmm. and making my money that way. And it's going to turn into more so of this gigantic marketing circle jerk of, um, <laughs> you know, yes. I call it a circle jerk, but people are going to be leaning more towards that because okay. all these big names and Magic has an enormous roster of Hall of Fame card players that mm-hmm. uh, have basically said, well, fuck, what's the point? Like, if I'm mm-hmm. going to work my ass off to maybe win a fraction of what i would have i'd rather just sign a sponsorship deal with like tcgplayer.com and stream and make as much or more without the pressure i think i think you're right about that you're gonna see a transit you know if you're cutting prize support you're gonna see a transition from all of these players who are who are truly dedicating huge portions of their lives to playing this game competitively i don't think people imagine this is not i think like esports this is much more similar to old esports. Really, League of Legends now, you got your million dollar paychecks and the team house. But back in the old days, it was put five guys into one hotel room because you have a tournament the next day and the tournament's offering like 5K. And you're gonna do that. And Magic the Gathering has never gotten past that point where even for the previous prize support and right before the million dollar one anyways, it was, get four top tier like hall of flame level players put them in one hotel room they're here to play the game they're here to grind it out that is going to go away million dollar was a push to esports that seems to have failed so you are seeing i you are going to see that i think the pivot of these top tier hall of fame legendary players move the content creation because that's where the money is going to be at i completely agree i do wonder though from a caster perspective the number of tournaments and how much are they how many casters are they going to be willing to hire are those you are you afraid of those going down i'm always afraid of that um Mm -hmm. and one of the most sobering things is realizing that like i went from uh, like my professional 
career in the past you know x amount of years like 10 years was i was a, a flair bartender for five years then okay. i worked as a social media manager for a, a gigantic airline and then i be, did streaming in this because this is what made me happy right yeah so i went from making crap ton of money uh, to making a crap ton of money to doing this for not much money so yep, like it, the, but the difference is waking up every morning being absolutely happy and thrilled to do what you do and that is something that i i have uh you know in my grizzled years mm -hmm. of being 35 years old in my sh you know short yet experienced life i have realized that that is something that you cannot you can't like I, I, w I wouldn't mm -hmm. stop doing what I'm doing unless someone threw like a uh, six figure salary at me somewhere. Like, but that's just yeah. doesn't happen. Nonetheless, am I worried about it? Yeah, because every year around December, January, I have to wait for word from CDPR to say, all right, we're doing another season of esports. And it's like, uh... hallelujah, I can pay rent for another year, assuming they still like me and assuming yep. I don't get fired. So it's um, that's part of why uh, you have to constantly be mixed up, mixed up in other in other things. I can't be a one trick pony because if yep. that pony that I'm riding decides to just become glue, I am fucked because I have nothing else to help me out here. I am very responsible with my money. I'm very responsible with my spending, etc. Because I know that at the drop of a hat. Uh, mm -hmm. They could just pull the plug on anything, much like you saw with Magic. It's like, oh, fuck yes. it. We're just pulling 75% of the funding away, which be, probably means less tournaments as well, which means yes. less casting jobs. So I am very well aware of that. But there's always this six to six to eight-week period at the after mm. Gwent Masters where I am just like, okay. Uh, yeah. And, you know, like again? I got to... That's it. It's like we're we we're eating ramen until I get that email. So that's kind of how that goes. Um, but am I worried that there's going to be less tournaments? Of course I am. Um, mm -hmm. And every time there's a new expansion announced with Gwent, like I'm in I'm in mm -hmm. constant communication with the developer team and stuff like that. I see a lot of stuff that's coming up. I'm always excited, I, even though yep. I can't talk about the stuff. But it's always good for me to know that there's still content coming because content maintains and grows the game. Yes. It's one of those things where there's no there's no plateauing and there's you know it's either, it's always increase or decline. There's there's uh -huh. rarely this position where it's like, well, the player base is just going to stay. If we don't release anything new, it's uh -huh. just going to stay the same. No, no. it's going to constantly fall off. You have to be producing new things. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Gwent is still doing things is great and the fact that you know, these other games that I work with, which I love. Again, I, I wouldn't cast a game if I wasn't passionate yes. about it. But uh, the fact that they're releasing stuff as well is always a good sign. I think that the mm -hmm. genre itself will always be relevant. It'll always have a, a, a following. But like you said, um, it's tough. I think CCGs as an eSport had its zenith a while ago. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. But it, it, it's it's still strong, but it'll never be as strong as when, you know, something like a Hearthstone tournament would pull in 100,000 viewers. Like, it, I, that's just not what happens anymore. Yes. And I mean, I think it's also a one of the reasons that CCGs have such a weakness when it comes to esports is the accessibility factor. If I want to go play Fortnite, I believe Fortnite's free. I just download it and I'm off I go. They'll go, you know, I'll buy a skin and give them 10 bucks. I'll call it a day. League of Legends, free. Dota 2. Free. CCGs, 
hundreds of dollars. Even Gwent, as much as I love to say it, if you want to get competitive and have a competitive deck for 30 or uh, 30 days, right? Before the next bounce patch, you probably need $50 into the game, buy a bunch of kegs, mill a bunch of cards, get your deck. That's really low as far as CCGs are goes, but it's unbelievably high. Saying 60 bucks for a competitive deck is astronomical compared to free for Fortnite. Like Fortnite, you go, yes. you have the exact same equipment as everybody else. You can drop to any location you want. You can find any random chest you want and get any gun you want that might pop out of that chest. But it is very, very, very different for CCGs. And it'll always be a huge burden on the competitive side. With that said, do you, what, you, know, you know this, right? You're obviously immersed in the CCG space. Would you ever cast yeah, another uh, genre? Mm -hmm. Would I ever cast another, sorry? Uh, genre, another type of game. The uh, I more... actually have. Ooh, I have. Me, I've done. Uh, yeah. So I did a season. There's a. I'm. I live in Toronto. So in the okay. province of Ontario, there was an Ontario esports league that ran a Overwatch tournament. Oh. Uh, so I did. I cast Overwatch for several. Uh, several events. I bought like five or six uh, mm -hmm. events. Uh, the problem was, it's like it was a very small operation. So I had to produce as well while I was casting. So I had to maintain and manage uh 12 different player cams Whoa. while casting the action okay and that's hard all the, it uh that's yeah it was insane. absolutely insane it was a blast don't uh -huh. get me wrong but it's completely two different things um mm -hmm. i would love to do it again because i still play overwatch to this day nice. and i adored casting it it mm -hmm. was so much fun and uh but i'm telling you the the i think i talk a lot and when you cast overwatch you just have to full throttle hyperdrive that shit because yes. if you're not keeping track of absolutely everything that's going on and con and converting it through that gray matter mm -hmm. out your fucking talk face out of your yep. big yip into the microphone at a coherent yet manageable but fast enough pace to describe everything going on because there's a reaper up there that's setting up a death blossom meanwhile the the there's a yep. flank coming from the widow to take out the support line the reinhardt shield is struggling while the may is uh, mm -hmm. like about to freaking alt on you and and you have moira in the back that's just ready to coalesce on you and it's like you have to make sure that you're keeping track mm -hmm. of all of this shit yeah it's <laughs> Oh, so exhilarating, but it's the most exhausting experience I've ever had. Yeah, no, and it's, it's again, the huge difference in genre, right? A six-versus-six-person shooter where everybody has high impact. Like, every character in that game, no matter who you are, is going to have an impact on the team fight at any moment, and it's going to be everyone setting up to be as impactful as possible. Versus CCGs, right? You get 60 seconds to think about which card you play in your different line of place. And Gwen's already at, like, the peak of complexity for casting that. Because Magic the Gathering, it's like, oh, they have five mana. They have one card that costs five mana. Everything else costs six or seven. Your question is, do they play that card or not? You can talk about that. For Gwen, it's okay. They have six cards they can play. How much do they want to commit into the round? What's the matchup look like? What line of play do I think they're going to go? That's really more complex. But Overwatch is in, like, League of Legends. I Overwatch in particular, but League of Legends, Dota 2. There's a lot of things going on. A lot of players acting independently from each other, each trying to set something up. You have to figure out what yeah. you need to call, what you need to say to make sure, you know, if you don't call the Reaper setting up the flank that's going to kill the enemy team, you because you focused on a different player, all of a sudden a big play is going to happen. You, you won't have alerted the audience to it. It's a lot of pressure. And then having to produce as well during that uh, smaller tournament is nuts. That's yeah. insane. 
Well, mm-hmm. it was basically I had all the cameras like F1 through F12. You just click on it and you get that player's perspective. But uh, it, so you're just keeping track of like, OK, who's close mm-hmm. to ulting? Who's this? Who's that? Basically, I mean, my crutch was you just follow the attacking team's Reinhardt. And if you're <laughs> a, a, and you yep. switch to whatever DPS is getting the job done. And mm-hmm. if the Moira alts, you just keep track of the Moira. And you just got to keep track of all the alts. And yep. as soon as you hear the cue that they're alting, you just switch cameras to it. But yeah, it was it was a, a freaking nightmare. But it was a lot of fun, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. But uh, yeah, I have never been tested from a broadcast perspective like I had on that. And like you said, uh, it, I was doing it all. And the chat, again, that's the other thing is like Twitch chat just doesn't care about any of the details it's just yeah. whatever i see they assume there's like a 20 person team producing things it was literally me doing this like crazy and mm-hmm. trying to figure out like if i could have done like i if, like I, a bump of cocaine would have certainly improved that broadcast <laughs> um, um though i'm not saying that that's what i do i'm just saying that it, 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 that's the kind of razor like uh you know yeah Oh, for sure. Stockbroker type of focus I need to get through that nonsense. <laughs> uh, uh, so I guess my question is, will you, you know, CCGs are in this, are disadvantaged when it comes to an esports side and the casting side. You're getting to December each year. You're stressing out about, will CDPR say, we're going to launch another master series. And that's once again, back up in the air. Uh, and you're going to approach December as what, a couple months away? four or five, then you begin the waiting game and you try to sit there and say, all right, are you going to offer the same price support, same incentive, same structure? Are there going to be less tournaments? Because they can also offer all the same stuff and say, we're going to do one less open or adjust it so there's four less tournaments. Whatever, you know, whatever they do and directly impacts your financial future. Are you going to, you've done Overwatch. Will you think you're going to continue to broaden out the other games like Overwatch or maybe even more successful are um, card games like Magic the Gathering will still probably have a bigger esports scene than Gwent. Hearthstone's probably the most yeah. successful. Legends of Terra is wildly successful. I won't will not surprise me if over the next five years it, it becomes the juggernaut as an esports. Will you broaden out uh, further? Like how does that? How does what does your future career path look like? CCG space or casting space specifically? Like casting CCGs in general is just mm-hmm. amazing. The fact that I get to do it for Gwent on their official broadcast is a, uh, uh-huh. I know this sounds cliche, but it's a dream come true to be able to cast and broadcast a game that I am so passionate about. Yep. Um, I played Gwent for years before they gave me a shake at playing or, or broadcasting for them. So like, this is not just a paycheck for me. This is something where it's like, I am so into this and mm-hmm. I am... I know how lucky I am. Like I am not, uh, I'm I'm not completely oblivious to the fact that I have an opportunity that dozens and dozens of others are both qualified for and want to do. So mm-hmm. that keeps me on my toes to be the best that I po- can possibly be. Uh, I am immensely lucky to be able to cast with someone like Shinmiri, who is yep. uh, just. Brilliant. Not just an excellent card player, but somebody who I have just, I am uh, ecstatic that I have developed an mm-hmm. instant chemistry with because him and I, um, we had limited time interacting in the past at other events, but the fact that we're casting together and it just immediately clicked was great. Um, do I want to cast other things? What a lot of people don't know is that my initial 
push uh, a while ago. I mean, I was trying mm -hmm. to get onto the Magic's, like Wizards Magic casting team ages ago. Wow. I would cast smaller tournaments with um, Alias V, who's now on their casting uh -huh. team. Her and I were, before we were both hired uh, by our respective companies or whatever, um, we we did some magic stuff together and she got hired and I'm now with uh, CDPR doing that stuff in other games. Mm -hmm. I would love to cast magic. I, I yep. have casted magic in, in smaller tournaments and such. And it's something that I would adore doing because I love that game and I really enjoy that game. I love so many card games. And uh, that's one of the, the things that it's hard for, you know, some of these, you know, mm -hmm. There's always somebody on the internet who's going to be like, oh, he's playing this game. He must, you know, what a yeah. sellout or whatever. This is that. It's like people need to understand that it's okay to like multiple things, you yeah, know? You don't like, say. <laughs> I know. It, isn't that amazing? Know, it's great. And, and that's, it's like, oh, did you quit Gwent? It's like, no, motherfucker. Like, I've played <laughs> like 60 hours of Gwent this week. Like, fuck yep. off. Like, you know, like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm allowed. I'm allowed to to play Hearthstone for a day. Like, get fucked. Like, just leave me alone. Yeah. But I I'm I'm try. I would love to do Overwatch again. But um, I mean, within esports, um, frankly, Magic is something that's always been on my radar and something that I've wanted to do. Not to abandon mm -hmm. Gwent. I would never abandon Gwent because I adore Gwent. Yes. But given the opportunity, if someone messaged me and said, "Hey, we we want you to do this Magic tournament." I would fucking be all over that in a heartbeat. And it, it's not because I'm just, I mean, I, I like mm -hmm. paying my bills. It's yes. also an paying, awesome thing. Paying bills are nice. But, it, it's, but it's just something that I adore doing. I would, I did this for free. Mm -hmm. I casted for free for years before somebody was like, uh, maybe we should pay him. And it's yes. like, woohoo, great, right. awesome. And this is that different of, difference of chasing a dream versus like a regular job. You could be making significantly more money being a social media manager at an airline, doing this or that, working up the traditional career path, but you realize, you know what? This isn't for me. I want to be happy. This is what makes me happy. I'm going to take on all of this risk for low pay, sometimes casting tournaments for free on the shot, and I have to be careful with my money, but for the return, the return, the benefit is so high of personal happiness, satisfaction of what I do, knowing I'm helping grow things I love, sharing the passion of these competitive scenes with the viewers like i have a lot of respect for that makes a lot of sense to me uh so i appreciate that no you're well i mean i i mean i i relate on a personal level because i used to work in finance i worked at a tech startup before that and i quit to go say you know what i'm gonna go you know i saved a bunch of money just spent two years yoloing it seeing if i can go do something that would make me much more happy and build that into something yeah before i ran out of money so, you know, it's well, a, it's a game. if I may, uh -huh. it, it, it's going to it's going to be tough because that's what I did. I I mm -hmm. basically while I was at this airline, eventually I was just like, well, let me try streaming. So I would work in, you know, my mm -hmm. eight, nine hour a day, go home, eat for half an hour and then stream every night for three hours. Yep. So my entire day was wake up, work, home, eat, eat work. stream, sleep for every single day. I streamed about six to seven days a week and uh -huh. had no social life. I did that for a year or two yes. before I got my first opportunity to that's where when we did the wild hunt tournaments in Philadelphia and mm -hmm. that's when I hosted that and that's when I got noticed by CDPR where they offered me a hosting opportunity at one of their events and but like if I may it's it's mm -hmm. you have to uh, and I know that you know this because you're doing it right now but happiness is something that you can't really put a price tag on Yes. Uh, 
and the 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 exchange rate of you know waking up happy every morning or making six figures or doing whatever it, mm -hmm. it, it's not as clean cut as you think it is for some and people you know can mm -hmm. think of uh you know like well wouldn't you be happier making a hundred thousand dollars and not having to worry about this kind of stuff and frankly no because i did that mm -hmm. and i woke up yeah. every fucking day miserable and good at my job and being paid well with great benefits but i woke up hating my fucking life and mm -hmm. that is something that i refuse to to succumb to and i am lucky enough that i was able to work hard through it to persevere mm -hmm. and pay my dues quote unquote and it's not like it's a free ride now because there's always people gunning for your job i mean look at yeah. the past couple events how many what was the turnover of the casting team from you know two events ago to now like yeah i am i'm a surviving member of this gigantic shakeup and i know that a lot of that i feel is by virtue of the fact that most competitive seasons you know if there's an event coming up i'm probably playing five to eight hundred competitive like ranked pro ladder games yes in advance because i need to be I owe it to the people who are watching me to be the best player I can possibly be for two reasons. Number one, because it improves the broadcast to be able to see the lines and have that experience and the wisdom when the cards are being played. But on a personal level, when someone's flaming you on, tw on, on Twitter or on Reddit saying that you don't play the game, I can go onto the ladder and say, well, I'm ranked 165th right now and mm -hmm. i don't even see where the fuck you are so there's a good chance you're not one of those 164 players who are better than me yeah so suck a high hard one like that's to me the personal vindication when it comes to that but again i know that my job is one that's highly coveted it's one that a lot of people want and some potter probably deserve but mm -hmm. until they can tell me why i don't deserve it then i am just gonna continue working hard uh to 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 be the best that I can be. Yeah, I think I think you hit a lot of things that I completely agree. First, that hard work, where not only are you chasing a dream, that price on happiness really isn't there because there are so many really rich people who are super miserable. I think Jeff Bezos recently bought a $500 million yacht and it was so weirdly designed it couldn't fit a helipad. So they had a mini yacht built with a helipad. <laughs> so he has, he has like a, you know, they have like aircraft carriers in like the States. He has a yacht carrier effectively. He has like a fleet of yachts that are going to be going around. But do I, do I imagine Jeff Bezos, this guy who's been a workaholic his whole life to the, uh, hopping around on a yacht going from place to place? No, like that, is, that strikes me as someone who's like super rich and super miserable where he accomplished everything he wants to do. And he's realized, oh crap, I've, I'm going to live for decades longer. Like this is, this is a serious problem. Yeah. And so it's not about getting rich. And I think you, you, you found the path that will make you happy, but you know how competitive casting is a truly coveted job. You a hundred percent, people are sitting there gunning for what you have. They look at you and say, I want everything flake has built. I want every job he's going to get because there are like six, seven positions in the great casting scene in particular is so competitive. Jeez. It actually, yeah. I would argue it's from when I've seen like esports, Magic Gathering esports cast versus Gwent. Gwent honestly has, in my opinion, some of the best commentators are going to easily go to other games and do better than the existing talent there. It is a truly remarkable lineup Gwent has forecasting, and you've been able to hold your job and hold it. I think it's more personally looking at it than just your ability to play the game. I can find like 20 people probably 
who are in top 500 players every other season or so who want to be a caster but i feel that your niche has always been you're casting first and then building the credibility second where a lot of people are, want to be pro players like oh maybe i'll do some casting on the side and i feel that one of your edges is you know you want to be a caster you're going to pursue that dream fully you'll play other you'll cast in other games which gives you more credibility as a caster and then you can go to any of the card games you played so many card games and other games that you can go sit there get ranked and say look i'm not only incredibly decent at this game i'm a pro rank player top 500 but i i put casting first and i have this huge resume of events i've done and i have a lot of respect for that um uh, and that's the thing like like you said i know that a lot of people want uh -huh. what i have <laughs> like and yep. and that but you you said it like i I am confident and enough to say that I, when you say like I, I, what I've built, I mean, I, I, it wasn't handed to me. Nope. Like that's the one thing it. that wild hunt tournament that, that was created and done by a few like myself, people like Mark, Leas, no control out of our own pocket. Like we yeah. flew there, paid for the stuff, sponsored the prizes, did all the things we tried as best as we could to recoup some of that money based on like selling you know some wild mm -hmm. hunt merch or whatever but we did we made no money off that we we went into the reds to yep. create that which eventually became an exceptionally well well thought of tournament for those who were there to experience it uh -huh. and for myself was a launch pad for future um future opportunities but mm -hmm. that tournament wasn't without a year of streaming every day prior to that networking creating content mm -hmm. and in my opinion doing things what i like to, i don't want to call it the right way but um it's one of those things where like even when so at the airline that i worked at i started working there in management um in, in so in communications management my father also was was an executive on his way towards retirement at that time within the same building, mm -hmm. which was really weird because yeah. he had built this 30-year reputation as a super well-respected high up. And I come in, and it was one of those things where I was like, I don't want to be given any opportunity based on my name association yes. with you. Uh, I appreciate you know, if you show me the door and, you know, like, I want your wisdom. I don't mm -hmm. want your, your uh, you, handholding. Right. Yeah. And no, some of that wisdom thing. I got was, mm -hmm. yeah, was do things the right way. There's no, don't, don't you, you do not lift yourself up by pushing someone else down. You know, yes. it's, it's so the one way that I've been very adamant about doing things is not, it's, it's don't, don't tr think that, shitting on someone else is going to make you look better yes. uh you know it's going to make you look just as worse so i i know out there that some people think that the best way to improve their own outlook is to make other people look bad and this and that and that's one thing that i've never wanted to do mm -hmm. and i don't like to get into those pissing matches with where it's like well this person said this about you cool i don't care like it's mm -hmm. that's all good for me and i hope that they have a great day like you know like things yes, like that you better things i mean are there people in the Gwent community that i don't have a particularly fond outlook of yeah there's a few oh. but I don't let that occupy that, my mm -hmm. current job. <laughs> it's not no no absolutely <laughs> i would not here's the thing there if if i if i am not if i don't have any respect for you if you do things that i do not agree with yep. i would not collaborate with you at all well, so i, I mean unless there's skeletons in your closet i don't know about but like the, you can i mean if you go through 
content that I've produced or, or things that I've been associated with, mm-hmm. I mean, there you'll see you'll you'll see notable names that are not included. It's because I don't like I don't want to be associated with some of these people because of things that they've done. Yes. And uh, I mean, I don't want to get into to that because that's uh, a rabbit hole. I don't want to. I think uh, though, that's not my place to talk about. Yeah, I think, but that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think the lesson you're hitting is a good one for anyone, whether you're going down a casting route, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're in the workforce, having a career, or just being a person. Where it is a lot wiser to just avoid people you don't want to associate with, but don't badmouth them and work your way up and be associating yourself with the people you really respect. Because those people who you respect will also ideally be people who find success, but based on their merit. If I respect you, you probably have something going for you and you'll probably find success because of it. And so- I was, uh, mm -hmm. a a long time ago, I was given some really good advice from a friend of mine who said, you are the average of the the people people that you associate with. Yep. So if Classic. you prune out all the bad stuff, if you don't associate it, you are surrounded by more positivity that lifts you up as well. So mm-hmm. I'm not there. At the same time, if I'm shit-talking other people, that just brings down the people I'm around with as well because yes. then they might not want to associate with me you know, and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But at the same time, it's just it's not that I'm out to get anybody because I don't I don't care and have enough time in the in or, or mental capacity to just devote to shitting on someone mm-hmm. but like there's there's just a lot of uh of that kind of stuff that i feel goes around that is it, i get that it's like it, it's i don't want to say it's very clickbaity and it's very attractive from a okay. viewer perspective to be like oh check out this this clip or this video of this person saying mm-hmm. bad things about xyz like i get it but that's not the way that i want to approach things and that doesn't that doesn't it's a flash in the pan uh, whereas over the long course of time, like I'd prefer to just have this low simmer of mm-hmm. increasing my my stock to the point where, you know, I can not have to worry about eating ramen every <laughs> every day to just sort of get through until the next tournament is announced, kind yeah, of thing. You know, I think I think one thing that resonates with me, or one thing I think about a lot, is what do I want my work to be? Period. If my work, even though I get more views, if I were to say this person's garbage or this person's a terrible streamer or complain on reddit about this or that i might get a lot of likes might get a lot of reactions maybe my youtube channel grows faster but do i really want to say at the end of my day look back 30 years like oh that's what i built my life on no i want my i want to make sure when i at the end of the day when we we all end up in the dirt and depending on your different religious beliefs, you might go to heaven, you might be reincarnated, uh, you might not do anything, you might just go out of existence. It doesn't really matter, but there's going to be a moment I have to look back on what I've done. And if my existence, my success was built on just crapping on other people and trying to tear them down, like that doesn't really feel right to me. I want to have a positive impact as much as I can on the things I care about. If I, if I got a cast, I yeah. imagine for you, if you get a casting job and it's because you badmouthed all the other casters until they gave it to you, that would feel a lot less satisfying than simply being such a good caster, you beat out everybody else anyways. And you provide them yeah. a better casting experience because instead of spending your time tearing down everyone else, you just simply spent it refining your skills, building yourself up, surrounding yourself with good people to help you with that as well, and providing the highest quality casting experience you can. And, you know, that, that, that I think is key you want to be proud of your work and better better to be the best you can than tearing everyone else down to appear to be the best 
Well, I've always uh, thought, like, again, I'm always under constant scrutiny because of the fact that I have this coveted position. And yeah. again, it's I'm the fully aware of mm -hmm. the fact that there's like this crosshair on my on my back <laughs> because of the fact that, yep. well, there's a lot of people who want this job and there's a lot of people who can do it very well as well. But mm -hmm. I always just relegate to the fact like, OK, uh, you know, you want this job. Why don't you have it? Yes. Go get it. Come uh -huh. get like come at like I, I come it at sounds me, so juvenile, but it's like come at me, bro, kind of yeah, style. Exactly. That's it. Tell me why I don't deserve it, and then we'll go. Like yep. sit next to me. Let's cast the tournament. Let's do this. Like I I mm -hmm. am not here to show you up. I'm here to make the broadcast professional, good, and entertaining. Yes. So as soon as it becomes a matter of I'm better than you. That doesn't matter. I hope you're better than me because that makes the broadcast better than it exactly. was prior. You know, like I that like Shinmiri is an excellent broadcaster. I'm glad I'm with him. And there are games where uh, or matches or, or or casting that we do together where he outshines me because uh -huh. he's just that good. Yes. And there are certain rounds or whatever where I might outshine him in certain regards. We mm -hmm. have our strengths and weaknesses, but it's not a competition because we both know that it's the broadcast the entertainment the the package the 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 pr product that we're producing here that mm -hmm. makes sense that that is the prime importance so when people are like i could do a better job than him okay but why aren't you yeah like why, you know that's the other thing I it's just one of those fucking things <laughs> yeah like prove it and then i think one thing that speaks a lot about your character is you went to help like create a tournament to cast it to use as a launch pad and this is where i find a lot of people miss opportunities that want to compete for coveted jobs if you want a passion job, a job that everybody wants, sometimes you're not going to get the casting job. You have to make your own tournament to get the casting job, and you get that because you built the tournament too. You're like, oh, yeah, I, I put together all the players. I put together the prizes. Uh, oh, and I happen to be the caster? Yeah, because I paid for everything. This tournament is my tournament, and I can show, like, if I'm not going to get the opportunity to prove myself, I'll create the opportunity, and then people will just see it and be like, oh, yeah, we definitely want that guy at my tournament. Because not only did he build a whole tournament, his casting was great. And then propel from there and that, that's something you do yeah. so well because you're willing to cast other games so when you sit down and you know reapply to cdpr every year like oh thank god they have a pro scene now we have to go for the comp you know am i going to be on the next uh casting desk you have to sit there and be like okay i've casted all these cdpr events and the cast of myth guard and the cast of cards and i've done overwatch work like i've casted all of these you can see me across genres and i'm also a pro rank player how, why would you not hire me? So if somebody's just sitting there casting a Gwent thing here, they're like, you have a huge yeah. edge. I give you a lot of respect. You work hard. Well, it's but it, the thing is, is that when it started, I had no events. I mm -hmm. had no pro rank experience. I had none of this, right? Like I had, I was like, oh, I was legend in Hearthstone. Like what the fuck does that really matter? Yes. Like there's, a, there's tens of thousands of people who have that under their belt. But I mean, I had... I had experience doing um, doing like stage comedy. I had experience doing uh, working like radio in Montreal. Mm -hmm. I had experience doing college radio. I had I had experience and a passion for cards. So it was just a natural marriage of the two that actually you know blossomed into a career that I can yes. actually pay rent with, which is a blessing in itself. Um, but that that resume is literally a matter of. I just, I'm like, I'm not going to say no to work. I worked, I went, uh, I traveled across several states in the U.S. to do, mm -hmm. to to host a, uh, to the host of a League of Legends high school championship tournament wow. like, series. Okay. And yeah. I knew nothing about League of Legends, but I studied and I played and I 
Figured you know, that. I met the casters and we went out for dinner and I was like, tell me everything you know about this game. Like, let me. Yep. And again, it's but it's another feather in my cap to say, here's another genre. Here's another mm -hmm. game that I did, did well. And again, but like. That's the other thing I, I, I to me, it, broadcasting is my is is like my career ambition um okay. the fact that i could do it with something that i'm passionate about is amazing uh sports radio was where mm -hmm. i first like fell in love with being able to have this whole broadcast scene and as a career i just adored it and mm -hmm. uh that's still something that i'm i'm hoping to get into is you know traditional am talk radio kind of stuff but uh, it's difficult. You just need to have a resume to support it, and unfortunately, esports is not as respected right now as yeah, but some might suspect. I feel like you're. It's almost in many. You can view it as okay. Traditional sports, I get it. They're a lot bigger. They have the radios. They, it's a classic, right? Esports, ironically, is growing at a wicked fast pace, while a lot of sports are actually falling in viewership. Is a you could view it as a negative, but you could also view it as you're well positioned to catch that next wave. Now, what game will that look like? I don't know. It'll probably be some kind of rotating thing where Valorant appears. He's an e you know, here's an esport, and Blizzard comes out of nowhere, a whole new genre, and then boom, Blizzard has another huge esport. Uh, and there's yeah. a wave going from each to each. But eventually, those those, I feel that those games on a resume will someday command the respect. It might take 15 years, but it's going to be tough when you're 30. I was 34, 35. To get 35. 35. Yeah. It's going to still be tough to get a coveted broadcasting position talking about traditional sports because that's been a coveted job for decades. Esports yeah. is already competitive as a casting position. It's been around for a decade. That's night and day. And so I give you, I feel that if your goal is to end up on traditional sports, you can definitely do that starting of esports. In many ways, starting of esports is almost better because it gets you casting jobs where you would never get a shot in traditional it's not easy no <laughs> like, it's, it's not just easy. The, I, and uh I, I i completely am aware of the fact that it's it's like i've applied to a dozen different radio stations in you know within a 200 mile radius of where i live okay and the responses i got were always well, we need somebody with experience, and unfortunately, what you've done is not—it's not broadcast experience. Okay. I'm like, all right, like I, you know, like how many people are listening to your radio station at any given time? I had thirty or forty thousand people watching me do this. You know, yes. how many people are listening to the fucking weather report that I'm applying for? You know, at yeah. For, like yeah, from like from the midnight to four a.m. shift. Like <laughs> that's what I'm applying for. There's you probably have like a hundred and fifty people listening, and apparently i've like but i get it and yeah. i totally understand and there's just this kind of old guard mentality that this is not real and and it's it's you know you just kind of wait and pick and choose but mm -hmm. at the same time it's not like i'm discouraged and 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 floundering i'm again adding more you know mm -hmm. sewing on more badges to my sash so to speak every yeah. every event that i do is another notch on my belt of of experience of this of that of another challenge of another situation of another um opportunity that i yep. hopefully can represent properly so do you think the end goal for you is you want to be on a radio show talking about sports is that is that the dream for like 
that was the dream for a long time. Ooh, okay. uh, well, it depends. It depends how far back you go. Because like when I was like three or four years old, I wanted to be a, a Ghostbuster, and then I okay. wanted to be a garbage man, Ooh. which really thrilled my parents. That was like my career ambition was to be a garbage man. Um, but <laughs> in in reality, I mean that is that's the pipe dream. That is still the that beautiful, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the road. That's where yeah. I want to live the rest of my life because i understand like i know i'm not silly i'm i know i'm already quote unquote like a, a grizzled vet when it comes to this genre i'm 35 years old if mm -hmm. this is like it's just funny to, to watch like i'm a big hockey fan and like listening to analysts talk about how like oh he's you know he's one of the older players like he's uh you know at the end of his rope he's 35 it's like fuck off really <laughs> like that's it that's uh. the career like so in but in sports radio it's a different story because you can go in your 60s and 70s and whatever yeah. like one of my heroes is vin scully who um mm -hmm. uh, broadcaster for the dodgers for so many decades and just a, a consummate professional and just listening to him into his like 80s doing this and still being on mm -hmm. his game it's like wow like that's something that i can continue waking up every morning enjoying like if somebody's like oh well there's this college baseball team that needs a a play-by-play -play guy i'd be like can sign me up like yeah. immediately like that would be amazing uh, would I ever abandon this? It, it's tough to say because I love doing this and I will mm -hmm. continue to love doing this. I, I, I can't throw card games away ever because yeah. that's something that I do in my spare time anyways. So, <laughs> but, yeah. if, if, but I will constantly be striving to fulfill that dream, which is, you mm -hmm. know, uh, sports talk radio or even talk radio in general. I'm just not a big fan of mm -hmm. that whole thing because current events discussing current events is kind of overdone whereas i feel like sports there's always a game an event uh, a stat uh this uh, that yes. to, a debate that you can talk about so yeah there's something about that 24 hours news cycle which it doesn't feel like it should be 24 hours and everyone's saying the same two things happen today but really how impactful are they but sports you're right it is a ever-moving thing the whole point is you're building up to a championship of some kind every win counts or it's building up to this someone might get injured all of a sudden what's this team's chances or what about this rookie is this new change gonna there's always something meaningful and impactful going on in sports which might not yeah. actually happen in world news and that's just because the world is the world and sports is structured in such a way that the day in and day out game after game does start to really matter and also i'd say the frequency of the games matters too because when the season's going for every sport, it's going. There is game after game after game after game. There's plenty of things to talk about. Yeah. Uh, that's a little different for esports, right? Esports are a little bit slower. Like League of Legends might be one that I look at and say, okay, at least they have a they have a whole tournament structure similar to traditional sports. Like, like Overwatch is, League. Uh-huh. Right, Overwatch League mm -hmm. is tremendous like yep. overwatch league the way that it was it was marketed as like this like this is this city has a team they sign yep. free agents and then they have a season and then a playoffs and then a champion like yep. i was so freaking into that i'm like this is a brilliant brilliant way mm -hmm. to take esports into a realm of um you know legitimacy that can compete with other kinds of standard sports yep. media you know because someone might not want to watch uh i don't know you know the columbus blue jackets versus the new jersey devils you know especially if it's mm -hmm. like oh well the toronto defiant are playing the 
you know the um, i don't know what other teams are yeah. out there for, it's all good. for it's Overwatch. Right. i forgot some up. of the names but like but like the like the florida mayhem or something Perfect. it's like oh well like that actually seems like a more interesting thing to watch and and that is the way that they kind of marketed that and made that happen was was pretty damn cool because i found that that production and the way that they evolved it to be more of an espn style production was beautiful like to sort of cross pollinate that brand and that style of presentation into the esports media I thought that was was really good. So I, I do think that there's definitely opportunity there. And that's another thing I would totally be all over for, for sure. Let's dive into that a bit more, because that's been a very interesting debate in the esports world, where esports call themselves esports, trying to get that credibility from traditional sports. And every different, yeah, I guess, esport, used their own, t- took their own risks and chances in how they structured their leagues how stable it is, maybe you do a more tournament-based system. Uh, for some, you have league systems for League of Legends, but they don't have cities attached to them. Everybody's out in California for like the North, uh, North American LCS. And once a year, each of the different regions of the world competes against each other. Then Overwatch really went the furthest, right? They're like, this is a city. We're going to take an esports team or uh, an organization. They'll buy a spot, but that city is going to be theirs. They're going to have a very strange, or standard name. That's going to be just like traditional sports and you're going to represent that city. Do you feel that that is a better direction for most esports to go trying to tie themselves to cities and that more traditional marketing? Or do you think you're losing something there that should set esports apart? I think that that is a, a, a very appropriate way to take it because as soon as that um, it's different because in card games, there's no you have quote unquote teams, but the people playing is mm-hmm one versus one so there's no team dynamic and it's not like you're you know team mm-hmm. Aratusa, team leviathan gaming bandit gang whatever yeah they're not like associated to any particular region or, or area it's just players that come together as you know to help prepare yes. themselves or create content or, or or discuss whatever um it's hard for these one-on-one style you know, be it fighting games or card games, as soon as there's any type of team dynamic, be it Overwatch or Valorant mm-hmm. or, or uh, you know, whatever, uh, that I think is the best way to do that, honestly, is to sort of go ahead and in- incorporate some kind of nationalistic pride mm-hmm. to it or some type of association because, um, I mean, as you can see, mm-hmm. everything I've got yeah. here, I'm very into the team that I grew up in my hometown and I'm so dedicated to it. And um, it's crazy how you just, you instantly up any kind of interest in the sport itself when your team is involved, when your localized group of people are involved. So, uh, but you can't do it with just solo people. It's like, how do you have like a tennis match and have like a, a, uh, like this is the, Mm -hmm. you know, this, these are the, the Madrid Nadal's like, yeah, that doesn't make sense right like it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense you need some sort of team so something like valorant um those kinds of you know any kind of team-based one-on-one halo or whatever i i would be all over that i think it's a great direction to go mm-hmm. uh not only from a perspective of generating interest but revenue for the company as well would probably go up as you're selling tickets to events and you have people selling buying merch and yada 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 so do you, do you ever worry about that, the esports scene, where a lot of these teams are not financially sustainable? It's really just hedge funds throwing money at your Cloud9s 
100 Thieves. Like, oh, even even the big, like, those are two of the biggest names. I don't think either of them are profitable yet. The 100 Thieves would not surprise me if they're close. I think TSM um, might be, but there's, the profitability in esports has got to be, I don't know, I find it to be a little sus. They're they're very associated with like these big money type corporations and and whatnot. I mean, I feel like a lot of the money being made is more so in the developer or the production companies that put on these events. The mm -hmm. teams themselves, they'll nail sponsorships and such like that, of course. But uh, you know, like you'll have a Cloud Nine or or Liquid or whatever, and they'll get money from their associations with sponsors that advertise with them and whatnot i'm sure mm -hmm. they get paid money and then what they do with that money whether it's to pay pay the players yep. that are wear their colors like that's part of it i mean there's it, it's tough and i get it because i i know that there's a lot of teams that exist in in many card games and specifically that don't pay the people that represent them and i get it it's because they're not pulling in much cash and they can't afford to do that so profitability is always going to be an issue um I, I i can see teams associated with like the thing about it is like i i don't know whether these teams are like are overwatch teams owned by blizzard and they're just injected into different Kinda. ditties i think the way they do it i know overwatch is not the one i know best the one i know best is league of legends but usually how you do it is you get the developer and the developer has a franchise league they sell the spots to the teams but they usually retain enough control that if like a team is really botching it they can just kick them out which yeah. but so there's a lot of shackling to the developer like blizzard has a lot of control same with Riot Games. They'll issue fines, kick people out if it's really bad. I know in League of Legends, there was a big one back in the day involving a team called Echo Fox that it got really messy. It was a lot of drama. And eventually, Echo Fox, Echo Fox was pushed to sell their spot and get replaced by a team called, you know, Evil Geniuses, which is more of a classic name in the esports world. But right. it's, yeah, it's, it's a really weird, it's a really interesting industry. It's all still on the cutting edge and budding even though esports has been around for a long time but long gone are the days of just starcraft brood war and going from there to evolving to all these different games your call of duties counter strikes valorants league of legends dota 2s overwatch etc it's come a long way and it's, it's fascinating and i want i do worry i do worry though about the sustainability of some of these player prices and how much teams are spending when they're putting down their $20 million compounds, their $6 million star player. You look at that and you're like, huh, that seems, that seems like you're, how, are you really gonna make $6 million off of that player? Like, is that the investment you return you're looking for? I get traditional sports to figure that out. I don't know about esports, and I worry about if there's gonna be some implosions in the next like recession. When money starts to get tight, what happens? that's that well that's it and i mean that's but i mean that's on the backs of these teams that need to have those kinds of burdens the players man like mm -hmm. just ride the wave dude if someone's offering you oh, yeah. six figures 100%. or seven figures to go play the game for them like you know a heartbeat just go take it man like why would you wait why would you even consider anything outside of that and all the because because you're signed a guaranteed well i assume they're guaranteed but yeah i mean all the risk is essentially lying on the teams that are sponsoring this because mm -hmm. if they don't secure sponsorship, if they don't sell merchandise, if they don't have results, they're the ones who are mm -hmm. going to get uh, screwed. But I mean, 
like a team liquid is not necessarily like a, a city based team, right? No. It's not like, like team liquid is just a team that I guess throw like their players are lent out to various different events um, mm-hmm. or independently the players decide to play events and then their contracts it's like okay you wear these logos and you do this and you have that and whatever yeah. but they're just buying um, teams putting them under the orc popping logos on them and send them and i'm out with of course resources yeah, that's and it. such but that's it right yeah it, it is different than well you see a little bit in traditional sports but there's very few people are, are sitting there saying oh i own a football team and a hockey team and a baseball team you actually do cross-pollination from traditional sports into esports but it's very very few um, I think the owners of uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh man! Uh, now we get to find out how bad my traditional sports knowledge is, as I probably forget whether it's a baseball team or basketball. I think Bucks are basketball. Uh, and the Milwaukee Bucks are basketball. Yes. Yeah, ten out of ten. So that's a sport fact of the day. Dijon level quality. Boom. Uh, but they bought out an esports team, right? Uh, Golden State Warriors bought out an esports team in League of Legends. Now the Golden Guardians. And you have some cross-pollination there, but esports as a whole, like when there's an esport org, they're sitting there saying, okay, we're going to sign 10 teams. They're going to play in 10 different games. We're going to the same sponsors. It makes a lot of sense on paper. Similar resources needed for each. Sponsors across many games pay well. It makes, it makes sense, but it's, it's definitely very different from the traditional sport model. Hopefully more sustainable, but right now, if you're a player, cash out. Totally on board. Get that million-dollar paycheck, cash it out. If the organization organization is bankrupt in like a year, eh, you know, you got your mill. That's the that's the way I view it. Uh, you got you got like a again uh, from a player perspective, it's just get that money. Get that <laughs> you money. You never know when that bubble's gonna burst. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just gotta run to the washroom real quick. Okay, I'll be I, back I'm in like super down for that because seconds. I've I've never yeah, made it hang- through an interview without doing a bathroom break. So let's take one real quick. Now, one thing yes. you talked you talked a little bit about it. Uh, other times is some of the more mental aspects of casting and the pressure. Uh, one I want to start with is imposter syndrome. If you, if we're yeah. gonna, if you don't mind, if don't mind diving in on a hard pivot. Cool, cool, cool. So imposter syndrome is something I think you've struggled with before, if I recall. I was wondering if you could talk about it a little bit. So, well, for those who don't know what imposter syndrome is, it's like, Imposter syndrome is basically, despite your success, you feel like it's unearned or or unmerited because you do not feel you feel like you are punching above your weight. You're over you're mm-hmm. overproducing. You're over succeeding for what you feel you deserve. That's what imposter syndrome is in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've sort of felt that way. A lot of it was because like I always I've always had confidence in my ability. Like I'm yes. not I I'm not good at a lot of things. But one thing I feel that I have refined and have improved upon greatly is my broadcasting skills. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I can lean on and be happy that over the course of you know God knows how many years through college uh, and radio and stuff like that. Like 15 years of my life, I've been with a microphone doing mm-hmm. stuff so it but when i started it was god awful yeah. and terrible but where i am now i mean i'm always striving to improve and there will always be situations where i'm like man like maybe people are like i'm not thinking mm-hmm. i'm the best in the world i know people are better than me at this stuff uh, when it comes to it but um the imposter syndrome to me is more so a motivator uh, in terms of constantly improving and and not slacking when it comes to um my mm-hmm. my performance so to speak okay. the imposter syndrome i don't feel it i don't live in it 
per se, but what I, I always have it kind of in the background haunting me to it's it's like that monster that's that slow walking zombie that if you just okay. sit and relax, it'll catch up to you and eat you. But if okay. you're constantly moving forward, you're gonna be fine. Uh, the, 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 the element of it always being there to, to haunt you, to chase you is as far as I'll let it get where imposter syndrome will affect me, but it'll constantly keep me marching forward to improve so that it never catches up to me. It never gets a sniff kind of thing. Now, will it ever, eventually I'll sputter out, eventually I'll blow a tire and there's nothing I can do and it'll catch up to me and probably eat me. But until (laughs) then it's just yeehaw, giddy up, let's go. And there's not much else I can do. I kind of like that how you described it as a slow-moving zombie, where for you, it's almost for certain people, right? This this feeling that I am getting more credit than is due to me, it can be highly destructive, where you start self-sabotaging yourself to get back to where you think you're supposed to be, even though it's your perception of yourself that is off. Where people are looking around saying, oh, in your case, it'd be casting. For other people, it might be job performance, where they say, oh, I'm getting more credit than I deserve. And then they might sabotage. But in your case, you have a, I don't know if I call it healthy, but you have a better relationship than many where it's, it's there as a motivator saying, okay, I might someday pause and feel, if I get complacent, I'll feel like I don't deserve it. But if I'm grinding hard, giving it my all each day, trying to find every casting opportunity I can, I'm doing everything I can. So I deserve what I get. I'm give, putting my best foot forward. I'm striving to be the best I can. So therefore, someday maybe I'll trip up, zombie will catch up to me, I'll have to pick myself back up. But until then, I'm just going to keep trying to move forward to avoid this and get better. Sounds about right? That sounds basically it. I mean, I, I have... Uh, it's hard to say that I've kind of ever existed and, and, and wallowed in, in that kind of feeling of imposter syndrome because I've worked immensely mm-hmm. hard to get what I've received. Got, yep. Um... I mean, perhaps I'm trying to think. I, it's like it's it's tough, and I'm not trying to say this from a perspective of like, no, fuck you, I deserve it, I'm amazing. Oh, it's not it. that I'm, at all. It's big... more so I mm-hmm. I worked immensely hard to scratch and claw for what I have attained, which is I mean, from a from a streaming perspective, it's very modest. There are people yep. out there with a thousand viewers where I'm, you know, just sort of scraping by with a hundred. And I'm not saying that those hundred people aren't significant. They're immense. It's a, it's yes. massive for me and it's immensely appreciated. But do I sometimes feel like I'm not getting my due or that I'm getting more than I'm due? Not really, because it's one of those things mm-hmm. where I've, well, I've worked this hard to get what I have and I'm going to appreciate it. If I was just slacking, if mm-hmm. I felt like I was shortchanging myself every time, different story i mean there are streams where i'll stream and i feel like ah, i just fucking mailed that in or it was boring or i you know it was not entertaining i'll feel bad about it that time uh but for the most part like i'm constantly striving to produce an entertaining product wherein i can't i will never let that 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 kind of mentality that push forward is what keeps that zombie at bay that's what distances me from it i'm constantly you know, rolling the D20 to advance my dude <laughs> while the zombies just constantly come in every, you know, every turn. Yeah. So every time that I'm working hard, that I'm producing a YouTube video, that I'm I'm preparing for a broadcast and I'm laddering up so that when the, you know, that I'm in a top 500, top 200 slot, like whenever that occurs, mm-hmm. that that is what keeps that shit at bay. That's what really just smothers that whole haunting aspect of it. But it's always, right. it's, it's, it's a real 
it's it's a real thing that I have to identify and keep in the back of my head because yeah, it's eventually, always... yeah, it does catch up. Yes, tell me about that. So eventually you mentioned the D20 example. Eventually you're going to roll the natural one, right? You're going to hit the one, worst case scenario, and you're going to trip, stumble, meteorite's going to break both your legs, and then all of a sudden zombie catches you finally. <laughs> uh, how do you think you're going to try to go about picking yourself back up from that situation? Well, okay, so the way that I, I, part of it is also just being best prepared for when that occurs. And for me, if I, I mean, I am preparing myself in the sense that if I do fail, it's something that I can fix. It's not something where I went on a broadcast and said, oh, by the way, fuck this person and fuck that person, where well, you're, you're basically <laughs> creating some sort of career sabotage, right? Uh -huh. Like that, that is hard to come back from when you just realize where all the other companies are going to look at you and be like, well, we're never hiring this person because X, Y, Z. And if there's one thing I can say as a piece of advice to people who want to, uh, you know, eventually mm -hmm. have a potential career in casting it goes back to the whole don't make don't don't make enemies make friends kind of thing yes. not in a disingenuous way but uh, companies are very aware of two of, of not only your appeal and your broad appeal to to everybody you can have a thousand viewers but you're never going to get a sniff at a job because your entire mantra your whole shtick is like fuck this and fuck that and this sucks and and this is stupid yep. and this is dumb yep. and this game is that like that is well on the radar and there's a mm -hmm. lot of people uh there are certain people who who as much following as they may have are are going to be hard pressed to find actual work with you know right. uh, a company because their entire gimmick is to be negative and toxic and this and that and whatever and, well, and it's, it's it's a balance where you can be critical as a caster but if you're trashing people and burning bridges without much credibility like that that's yeah. very different and so you can say i'm gonna bring a thousand people to watch this if i show up because my fans like yeah but we the esports side of all of these games is a small part relative to the game and the company it represents right the League of Legends esports team, our esports casters, is a tiny fraction of the esport, which is a tiny fraction of League of Legends. So are you going to bring on Joe, you know, somebody who's burning bridges, making enemies? Or are you going to bring on somebody who will make sure Riot Games or CDPR doesn't look like crap at the end of the day? Where they... Well, that... Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and that's... that's At the end of the day, that's what it is, right? Yep. Because uh, I, 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 they're hiring me. You yep. know, I have, I don't have a huge Twitter right. or sorry, um, YouTube, Twitch, Twitch, like yeah. YouTube, whatever. Like I'm not, I, I don't have like, I'm not blowing up numbers with that. It's not happening. Yes. I still enjoy doing it. I enjoy creating content, but they're not hiring me because of my, because all of my YouTube videos get 50,000 views. You know, it's mm -hmm. far from it. If I crack a thousand views on a YouTube video, I'm like jumping for joy. Yes. But at the end of the day. Um, they look at my body of work, they look at m their past experiences, and they say, okay, this is somebody who prepares, works hard, produces, mm -hmm. um, makes us look, you know, makes Good. the broadcast look professional and, and whatnot, but has fun with it, and people can mm -hmm. relate, you know? And, and that's, again, that's, that's the one thing that leads back to the whole, you know, wise words that my dad taught me a while ago, which is like, you know, it don't, you don't get ahead by pushing people down. You, yes. you know? And it, you, it may take longer for you to get noticed, but the success will be more sustained and more durable, you know? Uh -huh. So that's, and when you come down to it, when you ask me that question of like, well, how are you going to react or how, what's your plan if something goes wrong or this or that, or you do have, you do stumble 
and it, and it happens. Well, I will at least know that my my I do have this body of work up to now, but that if something goes wrong, it's not because I did something malicious. It's not because mm -hmm. I went out there to to sabotage or burn a bridge. It's something that my performance may have lacked. And if that's the case, then you go back and you work on it. And um, I mean, this is something that even in general, I prefer hearing constructive criticism than I do praise. Don't get me wrong. Yep. I fucking love hearing oh, yeah. nice you things gotta, gotta after a broadcast. on occasion, but... It, yeah, it, it's great. It, trust me, I, like hearing, you know, reading things some after a broadcast where people are pumping your tires, it's like the best thing. It's such... It's <laughs> huh. amazing. I love it. But I also want to hear from credible people where i can improve because if right. i can't if i don't hear that criticism i'll never improve and i'm constantly i do not want to remain stagnant because yes. i can't i want to continue getting better at what i do mm. i mean if someone just wants to go and flame me on reddit and say oh he, he's a loser and i hate him <laughs> and he's stupid it's like fine cool again i've been through high school i've heard this shit it's all good yeah. like <laughs> like the, mm -hmm. don't care do not care right but if you want to say noise. something mm -hmm. like Oh well, he gets too flowery with his descriptions, and it takes away from the whatever. Like whatever that, you know what? That's valid, and I can work on that. Right. I think I think there's a lot of truth when it comes to criticism. Like on YouTube, I'll occasionally get a comment saying, "You are you talk too much. You move your hands too often. You are a terrible player. You missed this play and that play. Your deck is terrible." I'm like, okay, but that none of that none of that's gonna make me better, and so I can't even say whether you're valid or not. Right. If I get the ranked one player in the world saying this deck is bad. That does mean something. If I get a rank five player saying this deck is bad and I just use it to get the pro rank, it means a lot less. Uh, and therefore, it comes down to saying that constructive criticism aspect and be able to say, if you're just negative, it's noise. If you say, hey, this is why this is bad or this is what I dislike, here's what I would do differently to make it a little better. Where there's an opportunity right. to learn something, opportunity to grow, whether it's casting content creation job school whatever it is that extra bit it's so 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 key and then that drive to of course be able to take that in and grow from it do you ever struggle with criticism and are being able to take it or have you kind of just at this point you're just like constructive criticism is always what i wanted and it's always what i've thrived on right well, okay. So, I mean, I, it, criticism in itself is always, it always stings. I mean, like, mm -hmm. I, it's just the way it is. But because it, at the end of the day, it's someone saying, I know you worked hard and I know that you're, you know, but here's where you're lacking. Now, yeah. like you said, there's always, there's, to me, f failure is merely just, a, it's a learning moment. And yeah. that's where you can, you can fail, but still, you could still progress. Because mm -hmm. failing is not, you know you could failing there's still a way to progress through failure which is okay if i failed at this it's because xyz so now i learned where i am weak and how to improve on it and then yes. that is progression and that's something you need to take out of every situation a failure cannot necessarily be a negative experience it can uh -huh. be a positive experience and that's kind of how i've taken every every ounce of mm -hmm you know, of credible uh, criticism that I receive, I take it with that, that through that lens of if this goes bad or you were weak here, okay, that was a failure on my part. How do I improve now that I've, that I know where I'm weak, how do I improve on that? And that to me makes me better. Yes. I, so, mm -hmm. or, yeah. Hopping in here. I, I agree. I think failure is honestly almost the path to success where, if you're not finding yourself failing at things, you probably are underestimating your limit. 
the only way to know when you are stretching yourself and beyond your limits is to run into a wall and fail right if you're saying oh everything is peaceful and happy in this small circle great a large circle might also be peaceful and happy and you have a lot more room you won't know though until you start running out and trying to find out where the wall is therefore if you haven't failed recently like what are you doing with your life failure is the way you find out where you're lacking and then you can continue to expand and do better I'd also say it's a faster teacher where I think if I play like chess against a grandmaster, by the end of the game, they'll have learned nothing and I'll have learned a ton. I'll know a ton more about the golf and between our abilities and what it means to be a grandmaster. They already know that I'm going to suck at chess and that they're going to smoke me. I'm probably going to lose, but I'm going to find out how I lost and all that. They probably played that set a million times. It'll be a first time for me. I'll learn a bunch. Uh, I think exactly. One of, yeah. I think one of the big things also people miss and you do a really nice job of it from how you're describing it is... The difference between my what I've done, like the product, uh, whether it's casting or a physical product or like a report, and then myself as a character, where if I do something, let's say I play pickup guitar for the first time and I play a chord, it's going to suck. And some people have that mental, mental problem where they go, I, I picked up a guitar, I suck, or like I, my playing sucks, therefore I suck at guitar, where the, really the trick is, I picked up a guitar, I played a chord, I sucked at it. But that, like, you know, the first time anyone plays a guitar, it's going to suck. Let's try to play it a little bit better next time. That, that barrier is so key to learning from failure. That distancing yourself, saying, this is what I did and I can do better here, but it's not really a reflection on me. It's a reflection on my work. But I got right. to disconnect is so critical. Um, yeah, no, I, I get you on that. And um, it's, it, it, I mean without being able to learn without being able to progress it's hard to and like you said failure is a great teacher and it's a very it's a very sobering lesson to learn because mm -hmm. it's hard to learn something when you're just floating through and successful i mean put it this way it's like if you're playing call of duty or whatever and you're constantly just throwing random grenades and always getting kills you're going to think yeah. that's the best that's the most effective way to play uh -huh. but when in reality you're just rolling the dice and yeah. you're yeah, you're hitting win. it every time now, mm -hmm. if you understand cover and you understand this and that, like the first time you run around a corner and you know that there's someone crouched there mm -hmm. ready to kill you, yep. that's a tough lesson to learn. That player knows that that's a good spot to be. But the next time you do it, maybe you're throwing that grenade not randomly. You're throwing it at that corner around, yep. around or you know, right around that corner to either kill that guy or get them out of that hiding spot so you can progress. That is like that first few failures leads to greater success down the line. And I, I, I can't, I cannot stress enough how failure is not a negative thing failure yes. is only negative if you do not learn from that experience so yeah um i mean i've failed trust me again doing comedy on a stage for a little while mm -hmm. like you find <laughs> out real fast where you suck uh... and you find out what hits and what doesn't yep. what gets laughs what doesn't and what <sighs> is not appropriate and what Ugh. is based on your audience but these are the kinds yep. of things that you gotta you gotta wade through and it's the same in anything but in, in esports it's and casting in this whole this whole industry um the competition itself is so fierce that you have to you have to progress through even the worst failures and the worst setbacks you mm -hmm. have to find a way to kind of translate that into a learning experience. Because mm -hmm. if you don't, those are missed opportunities that are gonna set you back. And um, yeah, that's that's basically, yeah, it, that's it. Yeah, and it's also, I think, yeah, going off of what you said, it's just so key for defining what you, re becoming what, if you wanna become the best possible version of yourself, 
then you have to take failure in stride. You got to keep finding where your limit is, where your weakness is, and growing from it. You're not going to be a great comedian until you crack a few jokes to try to that are on the riskier side and find out will this be the biggest hit of the audience? Will they get an okay hit, or will you get the dead silent pause of saying what What did you just say? And then have to pick yourself back up from that. What do you think are some of the harder mental challenges for you uh, for yourself personally when it came to becoming a good caster and broadcaster? Whether we're starting out in esports or even earlier than that. So part of it was determining one of the biggest hurdles that you have to cross is understanding where you are as uh, in terms of what your personality is and disassociating it from the urge to be somebody who you think the audience is going to want to hear. Because mm. you can do the whole, I mean, I. This is going to mm -hmm. sound stupid and Go it's going to show it. my age to a degree, but it's like you can fucking be the person who just spams and says shit like Pepega, <laughs> Omega Lol, yeah. fucking dab, floss, do whatever the fuck you want, because that's what the fucking flavor of the day is. But if that's just you trying to connect with an audience that you otherwise are not confident will connect with your personality and your presentation. Yeah, that's that's something that. Even when I was like, for instance, when I started doing college radio, like the first few weeks, it's like you do you do the radio guy thing, uh -huh. you know, but when eventually you just kind of cruise through and you're like, all right, well, that's not who I am. I have to make sure that it's my personality. It's me who's going through. And if there's one thing I can say is that who I am on a broadcast is pretty much minus the yep. fact that i can't swear on like cdpr broadcast uh -huh. well actually you know what i can swear i just i don't like it's just yes. a switch that i shut off but that person that you're seeing is the no swearing version of me that you would have anywhere else like i'm gonna mm -hmm. be the same guy everywhere else and it's that mental hurdle you have to go through is that i'm not here to uh i'm not here to try to sell a version of myself that doesn't exist to people i'm never gonna meet it's I want to make sure that the broadcast is as awesome as it can be while showing people the best parts of my own personality and mm -hmm. how they translate to presenting what I'm trying to present. You have to find that that coalescence between the two without, you know, trying to tap into the flavor of the day, whatever mm -hmm. it, it is, because yes. that's what the, you know, people are going to... And and like I see it a lot where people are just going to rely on these memes that they're going to toss out there because they know there's going to be a reaction in chat or whatever. That's not me. I'd rather mm -hmm. live in the day. Like the amount of times that you're going to, you know, that I, I can watch somebody and, and they're going to just, you know, it's one thing to if that's part of your personality, for sure. But like relying mm -hmm. on the same thing over and over again and 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 trying to sell something a version of yourself that isn't who you are that gets old for you fast and it gets found out and exposed pretty quickly by the people watching you as well yeah I think... so i i, mm -hmm. I can i can sorry I, i'll, I'll, I'll wrap more. this up but i'm just saying keep like on, I, I can genuinely say that there is i i it nobody can accuse me of putting on a show mm -hmm. when i'm broadcasting because the way i am on a broadcast is pretty much who i am uh, anywhere else yes I think that's the difference between like someone who's going to have a shot at a long-term career versus a short-term one. If we keep pandering to the audience, like great, but the people who are going to last a long time are going to be the ones where the audience craves that person. And that person just has to go on there, be themselves and focus on doing what they think is best. 
and right. then the audience will love them for it. We were always trying to sit there looking at the chat, trying to react to it. Like, great, but eventually they might want a different flavor that you simply can't do. And you've built up the relationship that you'll cater to them. And that's not the relationship you need. You need the relationship of they trust you when it comes to your information. They enjoy how you present things. They just, they trust you. And so that when right. you're going up there, you're honing your craft to the best of your ability that there, even as the memes change, the formats change, the games change, you as a caster have built up that relationship that they're going to follow you, believe in you and enjoy what you produce. Like sometimes I just want to ask mm -hmm. people, it's, it's like, you know, you watch the chat, you do this and whatever, like when you're on a, when you're doing a broadcast, do you care more about broadcasting or do you care more about people liking you? Right. Like yes. that's the kind of thing, because I know that I have my fair share of people who are, I'm not their cup of tea and I'm yep. totally cool with that. Cause I'm uh -huh. not here to, Please I'm not everyone. here to uh, be appealing. If I want to be appealing to everybody, yep. I can do my best and I could probably gain a few more fans, but then I would not be who I am. I know that I rub a few people the wrong way and that's totally cool. That's uh -huh. totally fucking cool. And I respect that. But when you're, when you're tailoring a broadcast because you want the most amount of people in chat to like you, you are therefore then sacrificing the quality of that broadcast. And mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the day, like even to just get really nitty gritty about it, Please. you're hired to fucking do a job. And yes. it just so happens that I adore what that job is. And that's amazing. So I'm going to put on the best broadcast and enjoy myself. And mm -hmm. I don't fucking care if the Twitch chat is all about it or not and i'm yes. grateful if they are and if they're not then so be it i know like trust me in the 10 minutes out of any particular cdpr broadcast where i'm in the chat because it's like there's a 30 minute delay yep. so at the end of it i just lurk in the chat to watch the end of the matches mm -hmm. as they as they um as they're happening and as they're to see the crowd reactions to, to big plays but i always see the whole like goddamn flakes yep. annoying or this or that it's like cool i'm like i don't but yeah. you know what? I'm annoying being me. And there's X <laughs> amount of people who enjoy it and X amount of people who yep. do not enjoy it. And that's fine. And I'm totally yeah. okay with that. But if I'm going to tailor my broadcast to have the most amount of people you know, like me or, or connect with me, then I am sacrificing who I am, which therefore jeopardizes the quality of the broadcast. Yes. I, I, think I like a lot of that sense of be yourself, do your best job. And you know, if it, if it turns out this particular company's broadcast doesn't want you, they want something more decisive or something that is more meme -y. like fine, then you go into a different broadcast, but you want to find the broadcast that suits you as a person that you can do your best performance and hopefully connect, not with everyone in the audience. No one connects with everyone in the audience. Some people, I, I like on uh, League of Legends uh, subreddit, some of the broadcasters will post there and some people are like, you are the greatest thing that's ever existed. And others are saying, you literally make me vomit when I hear you talk. Please don't cast these games. And it's like, that, that, that just is the nature of the beast. You can't please everyone. There are going to be people right. who are haters. And that is okay. It's their right to. And they, are, they can say, you need to literally redo everything you say and do. And you're not going to do that. Is it, criticism, is it constructive criticism in the sense you might appeal to them more? Sure. But is it you? No, you can only be yourself at the end of the day if you want to be sustainable. People burn out fast if you're not being yourself in whatever activity you're striving to achieve. So I, I give you a lot of respect for being to say, look, I'm going to ride. I understand I'm going to piss off some people. It's 
and not, it's not a, like an optional thing. It's not something I can do better at. It's just like, it's just that I'm going to hone my craft. I'm going to be myself. Some people are going to love me. Some people are going to hate me and love other people and it'll be fine. Respect that. Like I can, but again, I, you may not like me, but I, you, like you can have the opinion that you don't like my style or you don't like this or you don't like that. That's perfectly fine. And I respect that. And you're, and, and you're probably right on many of it for, you know, but at the end of the day, that same person can't say that I haven't worked hard to, to, to have what I have and yes. that I don't like perfect. You may not like the, my tone of voice or the jokes I make, but motherfucker, I'm prepared. I'm good at what I do and I've worked hard to get there. So you can't say I don't deserve it. No offense. Like I I'm, I'm perfectly fine. I'm not trying to, to toot my own horn here, but I've paid my dues and I've done the work and um i i am who i am uh and if you don't like that that's fine but my body of work as speaks for itself and that's totally cool because i appreciate the haters like mm -hmm. i i'm all about it man like it's all good because yep. i'm not here to please everybody if i if i was pleasing everybody then i wouldn't be myself and yes. that's just the way it goes and in many ways yeah it would be it'd be weird to see any caster or personality please every single person uh, why don't we go ahead and take a few questions from chat real fast? I know. Yeah, let's do it. I see. Let's see. I think things are popping here. Let's see here. Give me a moment. Actually, no, I do off the phone. Uh, Bubble Trav, can you pop in the mod channel? The priority is already existing there. Let's see. They yoink them. I just cheated off the last. Nope, didn't do that. Let's see. I don't actually see where they posted the questions. Hey, Bubble Chub, do we have a link? Say, you're a saint as always. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, hey, your mod is awesome. Oh yeah, <laughs> your mod is damn good. Oh yeah, no, but every every mod that has volunteered to help me out is literally just the greatest thing ever. Whether they just they blow my mind. Xeniac puts together these whole tournament series basically by himself it's at this point he's just like john do this this and this i'll take care of all the rest bubble trub's a machine in the chat hippasus she's incredible and then in the myth has been busy but also super ambitious super hard work oh, it's just awesome people all right you guys i have like mm -hmm. so i i like one of my greatest mods of all time is ellis uh okay. she was uh always in my channel for the longest time and then she started dating tailbot so it's like okay um, well that's <laughs> there's no more time for flake yeah <laughs> it's just sorry. she's in aratusa now dating tailbots like the whole thing it's like okay i am so uh, i i do the best i have with uh the awesome people that uh that ban all the haters but yep yeah it's all good yeah <laughs> all right are we ready for this ready for the some Let's questions so does flake ever feel that his well let me let me actually read some of these first just uh <laughs> because we've some answered them, a like, lot of them and silly. Well, I don't mind Mimi and Silly. I think you're, you're valid on that. Like, this one is about, do you feel the threat of other streamers coming up? And I feel like we covered that really, or uh, casters and streamers coming up. So, but I feel like we covered I'll, that I'll, really I'll, well. Uh, I'll, I'll, like, soundbite this. I'll, like, like 30 words or less that. Do I feel the, what's the question uh, specifically? Does Flake ever feel that his place as a Gwent caster and streamer may be threatened by the rise of other casters and streamers, given the relatively small and finite audience of Gwent? Yes. And short answer, yes. And the reason why is because there's great, there's great talent out there. There's a lot of passion from these people who are there. And the way that I sleep well at night with this kind of looming threat, quote unquote, I wouldn't even call it a threat. Competition mm -hmm. uh, is good um, in all yes. forms and facets. 
But the re- the way that I sleep well at night is the fact that I'm constantly honing my skills in my game. So I am I don't feel like I'm slacking. It's the same thing with the imposter syndrome, that zombie that's constantly chasing after you. Mm-hmm. I'm just constantly working on my craft. So uh, that pressure, that threat is always there to motivate me and to keep me running uh, th- like honestly if imposter syndrome's a zombie behind me then the the quality and the passion and ambition of the casting people behind me is like a grizzly bear so like yep. that's a little bit more <laughs> of a threat and an, and an aggressive threat that i'm always as on there all right i like that i like that answer what was your area of study interest in school Ooh. Uh, okay. So I have a uh, I have a degree in political science. So Ooh. I was um, very much into international relations, foreign policy, um, history uh, mm-hmm. from like political history, etc. Um, that was uh, what I, I graduated in. I was also I have a very very big appreciation and interest in science. Uh, I never pursued it academically. However, a lot of the books that I read, people would think are like boring as fuck. Like <laughs> I, I alternate between uh-huh. typically some type of sports biography slash autobiography to um, a Star Wars fiction, like a canonical Star Wars fiction, to um, something uh, theoretical physics related, like space time, uh, you know, string theory, stuff like that. I don't always get it all for sure. But to me, being able to read that kind of stuff, like that to me is just as fantasy and just as magical as like Lord of the Rings. When you're reading about all this theoretical physical stuff, like it physics stuff and, and such, and, and at, like uh, astrological nonsense, like it's just, it's brilliant to me. Yeah, I think, yeah, I could, that's awesome. I find the quantum stuff to be the most wild, some of the most humbling and wild things that have ever existed. Like the double slit experiment is just the most scariest, weirdest thing I've ever heard of. Uh, There's such craziness. Uh, Oh, interesting fact. I once wrote a university uh, paper about uh, Dr. Doom as uh, as a political figure as a head of state and his efficiency and his effectiveness as a totalitarian government dictator and the the weight of him the pros and cons of him as uh as a as a head of state as a as a quote-unquote enlightened despot and uh i did a 30-minute presentation in front of a gigantic class of people and i got an a on it because Boom. uh <laughs> talking That's about a... dr doom as as a model of enlightened despotism that is the raddest paper i've ever heard of anyone writing that is so sick uh all right next question next question yeah. also i'm gonna say it's, it cracks me up i was an international relations major so we studied similar stuff but it's the next question with the globalization of everything now do you think city-based teams are truly the way to go or might another avenue or format to form teams around these are or or format to form teams around for esports be better? Well, I mean, so here's the thing is that the, 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 the I understand the globalization aspect of it, but the globalization aspect of it is not something new. If you look at any other team, the team that is resides in any particular city has players signed to it from all over the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Montreal Canadiens goalie is Canadian from, yep. you know, from British Columbia, but they're, uh, you have, uh, you know, 
an American centerman, you have a Canadian winger, you have, uh, you know, you have a, a, a myriad of different people. So when it comes down to it, even Overwatch League uh, has team-based cities, but the players that they sign are from all over the world, right? Uh -huh. So I don't think that's ever going to be much of a, a hindrance because the standard model that has essentially existed for God knows how long is still, mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's still applicable. I mean, there used to be a time, uh, specifically at least in the in the National Hockey League, I don't know what anything else, where uh, players born in the area or the region of the team, I think that team had first dibs on drafting or signing that player. So teams like the Montreal Canadiens in Quebec with tons of hockey talent had yeah. first dibs on this massive pool, which led to a lot of their success, and that eventually changed. So will globalization essentially limit... Uh, how these teams operate i don't think so i think that having a, a city rally around a particular team means that that city's funding will help i was a stadium for them which helps as well as the pride that the city the civic pride around that team will also be uh, a point of generating interest and marketing etc mm -hmm. uh if it was just like put it this way it's like if if new team showed up but mm -hmm. it was not associated to any city there'd be almost no interest for it. Like any expansion sit team needs a city to rally around it to have any chance at actually jumping off and, and taking off. Yeah, and also I wonder if it solves, for the city model, I never thought about this because League of Legends does not do that, but it solves the problem that League of Legends is having right now of importing. The North America as a region sucks at League of Legends relative to the rest of the world. Like China is the number one region right now. Korea has a long history of being great. Europe is surprisingly doing, are like doing really, really well, getting better every year, getting closer and closer to the top. And North America has anchored the point between top region and the rest. It's just like right in the middle is North America and it always has tons of money and it always falls short. And one thing that there are rules about is importing players from other parts of the world. They're trying not to make uh, a team that's just like, Five, go to Korea, pick up the five players that are like on a B team there, which would crush North America, bring them over, and then kill the entire region. But if you do it by city, all of a sudden that matters less, right? You, it's, the pride is on the city as opposed to the nationality of the players. It's an interesting, a different model that would solve the current existing issues in North America in, in, for, North, for yeah. North American LCS in a very real way. Which is interesting, I don't know, fascinating to think about, lower the cost. Yeah, there's a lot of merits to the city-based model. I didn't give it a ton, a ton of thought before, but the more, you're, you're making a good argument here, Flake. I like it, I like it. Uh, I, 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 I mm -hmm. talk a lot. Like I, partially because, I mean, when Overwatch League was, you know, at its peak, I was very mm -hmm. interested. I'd watch it, and it really fascinated me in terms of the whole dynamic of associating an esports team to a... And then you kind of just you once you sort of scrub out that like that initial bias of video games are not legit, then mm -hmm. you kind of understand it's like this is just like any other league. It's just like you sign players, the players play in a stadium. There's merchandising contracts, this and that. It's the exact same thing. Yeah, it's the exact exact same thing. Ah, uh, excellent. Next question. Next question. Uh this one's a wild one, and I'm actually pretty excited about this one because it's like total left field. You ready? Do you think yeah, selling? Do, do you think selling ownership shares of an esports team could help uh, help continue creating sustainable value for players and viewers? With things like NFTs going around, it makes sense to me that Democrat are democratizing ownership 
prevents folks like Bezos from owning everything. Well, okay, so that's the, okay. That's a very uh, that's a very deep question, and I wish that I. Here's the thing: I'm not uh, by any means a financial or economic brain uh -huh. child of any sorts, but I understand a little bit about what what you're talking about here. Of, of you know, if you if you sold shares and if the ownership of any particular team can be spread amongst any amount of people. Now, here's the deal: um, any smart team would not do that because they want to maintain and retain control of of most of those things they want to move the team if they need to move the team they want to make the changes they don't don't want to rely on a massive amount of quite frankly mm -hmm. internet people who are probably gonna gme the fuck out of something and just be like all right like apes unite let's all buy this team and now we own it and we can make them all do stupid shit like uh -huh. there's a there's a louis ck bit where he's talking about how much like, if he ever became stupid rich he's like if like, can i have that he's like if i had that much money i would buy a baseball team and make them all wear dresses like that's basically he's like that's the kind of money that 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 is if you to put it in perspective you know and that's the kind of thing about it now uh the new if you want to be really sneaky about it the green bay packers did something a few years ago where they sold ownership shares of the team that were not real ownership shares it's basically you buy you pay $500 for a certificate framed certificate that they mail you with your name on it that says you are a quote unquote owner of the um of the green bay packers but that ownership does not actually give you any type of ownership rights voting or any actual ownership of the team. It's just a title that you get. It's a flex. So that's a, a very sneaky way that they did to just be like, hey, anybody want to make like a few million dollars this weekend? Let's do that. So that's super strange. But I will say alternatively, some esports teams are doing this to small degrees. So 100 Thieves recently had, like maybe half a year ago, brought on Valkyrie and Courage as part owners in the team. Now we're probably talking 0.5%, right? A fraction. Because both of them are packing multi-million dollar bank accounts. They, can, they have money to blow. So you are seeing some esports teams bring it on, bring in very specific people that have a lot of longevity to them. But these people are, it's, this isn't a democratize the team. I only know one organization that has done that. One organization, but that's because they were player first, hedge fund second, instead of the other way around. Like 100 Thieves is going to bring on Valkyrie and Courage because they look like the next big content creators for the next decade. Valkyrie in particular. Right. Uh, but there is a team that has done it the other way, which is Evil Geniuses. They were player-owned, and then they brought in a hedge fund, sold shares to the hedge fund and, to get more money to keep up with the existing organizations that were hedge, you know, created by hedge funds, bought out by hedge funds. Right. But ironically, to the poor, the poor whoever asked this question, I feel a little bad because it's the other way around, where the people are selling out of the democratized organizations and moving into getting in more money from hedge funds because they need the cash to keep moving forward. Very few players are making the jump the other way, where Bjergsen and League of Legends became part-time owner, are a partner in TSM, Valkyrie, Courage, and 100 Thieves. That, there's not many others besides those. But, uh, it's, uh, I mean, like, just the ownership aspect of these teams. Like, yeah. it's hard to actually, I mean, someone might, spend like a couple bucks to have a share in something just because they're a fan of it but at that point doesn't it just feel like a donation to the team like it just yeah. seems like it's you know yeah. it's you're just you're not getting anything for it it's just it just seems awkward to me like i understand i just don't know enough from an economic standpoint to just 
from shares and 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 riding stock markets and the value of that kind of stuff. But um, eh, that's wish I had a better answer. Yeah, that's all good. I mean, I don't know if there is a right answer. Uh, so next question. Uh, we have a couple more. Uh, what would be a better game to cast, or which one would you prefer to cast? A slower game where there's times to explain multiple lines, you have a bit of thought, or a faster game where things are on the cutting edge, RNG is very present, things are going wild. What type of game, do you, like it didn't specify Gwent, but in general, let's say the more fast-paced stuff, or do you like more time to break things down? I prefer more time to break things down because I have a lot that I want to say. I mean, obviously, we've been... You've been listening to me yap on for for a while now, but mm -hmm. um, I I always have a, a perspective on things that I like to dive into. I think that there's a lot of layers of games um, that a lot of players and a lot of viewers do not necessarily see at face value. So it's fun to sort of peel back those layers and just expose a little bit more, a little bit deeper of what's going on. And, uh, you know, have, casting with someone like Shinmiri is fantastic because he peels back even further that I would even think about, right? So uh, I like those slower type games because you can go ahead and, and really demonstrate and dive into the the beauty of the plays that are being made the the romantic element of what's going on you know the the how many of those dominoes are lining up for you as they're playing like one play that seems so straightforward that is not made there's 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 something to break down when mm -hmm. i was playing overwatch or when i was casting overwatch rather it was more of a like i you're not you're not driving the car, you're holding onto the bumper on a skateboard, just hoping not to hit a speed bump and yeah. like, and totally, you know, Watch fall it. and, and mm -hmm. yeah. So that's what that was about. And you're basically from the back, you're just kind of like, holy shit, what's going on? And this is going <laughs> huh. on. And I saw a plant and this is here and that there's a dog over there. And like, that's basically how that is. Um, but I honestly find that it's a beautiful thing when you're looking at a very complex turn-based game like cards, where you can um, not only describe the strategy as you see it, but also dive into the the thought processes and really prognosticate what's going on. Um, I, I, I've, it has to be slower. Um, mm -hmm. That's just, that's for me. Is it fun to do faster paced things? Hell yeah. I mean, there's a game called Teppin that is a card game that is, there's Ooh. no turns. Everyone yep. plays at the same time constantly. That is a nightmare to cast. I would never want mm -hmm. her to do that because that's ridiculous. But um, I can see the the craziness of it and the, the appeal for certain people because it's an adrenaline rush. Yep. No, I, I think that's a good, solid answer. Getting your time to talk things through and explain it is nice. But there is definitely the chaos going to be fun as well. So, two more questions I have here. What's yep. the ne what's next for competitive card game? Any ideas on what the next big idea will be, and what would you like to see? That was all. That next was for pretty general one, but go for it. Let's see. Next for competitive card games. Yes. Uh, it's tough to say because as we've seen from the trends lately, it's just that yep. everything is kind of getting cut back, right? From prize money and stuff like that. So it's tough to discover what the next thing would be for competitive card games. Um, when you're already seeing a little bit of regression in terms of um, viewership, you're seeing regression in terms of the support for these tournaments. The productions that occur are still great, but I feel like companies are actually just kind of throttling back when it comes to pushing these things. Uh, and the most egregious being recently is that 
seventy seven hundred fifty thousand dollars that were just scooped away from uh, the pro scene, right? From Magic. Now, I think that the next big thing would likely be um, some type of gimmick related tournament where it's like okay like this tournament has a special set of rules that the players do not know about until they they are well within it it like when in which case how do you qualify for that how do you you know like is it an invitational situation um the next thing i would say is that there it would just be a different genre of card games that really breaks through Mm -hmm. like a competitive hearthstone battlegrounds style uh, tournament or or a ladder support and tournament scene for something like that. But when it comes down to it, it's tough to really discuss where this is going, what the next level is, when you've already seen things being scaled back, which is tough to digest. Yeah. No, I think it's a solid answer to a tough question. Final question. You ready? Yeah. Any further comments on that one? Perfect. All right. The final question is what? Okay. Now I'm going to show that I know nothing about sports. What will okay. you do if the Habs miss out on, on the chance at the SC this year? What would I do if the Habs miss out on a chance at the Stanley Cup? Okay. So if that, that, that means that, okay. So right now the, the Montreal Canadiens, AKA the Habs, the Habs is short for Les Habitants which okay. is basically the nickname in, in Quebec that the team had for several years. The team is like 112 years old or something like that. Okay. Like it's a very old, very old team. Uh, also, 24 World Championships, one of the most successful professional sports franchises of all time, just so we know here. Just saying. Just want to put that, put that base on there, exactly. Put the primer out there. So right now they're in the semifinals. Um, they're tied 2-2 in a best-of-seven series. The next game, game five, is tonight. And what would I do if they miss out on it? Frankly, this season, they, weren't, they were supposed to get swept in the first round, and they dramatically came back from a 3-1 deficit to beat a team. Then they swept the next team, and now they're up against another team that nobody gave them a shot at, and they have a 2-2 tie in the series. So in all, all honesty, what would I do if they miss the playoffs? I would, I would be disappointed, but I wouldn't be upset because they were supposed to, A, miss the playoffs, B, get dum- dumpstered in the first round, and everything from this point on is gravy because the team, as it has been shown right now, is looking pretty good in the future as well. So I'd be disappointed because we come so close. Um, however, at the same time, I, I'm, I'm understanding and I'm just going to take the joy for what it's been. It's been one hell of a ride. Like everything after that first series was extra gravy and extra sprinkles. So I'm just going to take it and enjoy myself. Like it, I like it. Well, Flake, thank you so much for coming on a plane talk here today with me. I appreciate having you here. It was a good one. Uh, no, it was great, words? and uh, I I appreciate the I like the conversation. It was good, and I appreciate the fact that it wasn't just a a conversation of like, what's your favorite card and what's your favorite faction. Like, I I get it. I yeah. I I understand that these are valid questions, but. but yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kinda... go. De- I want to go deeper with the people. There's more than just the game that they they're the face of, right? There's so much exactly. more that makes you tick. Honestly, probably literally go even deeper. I barely. One thing we skimmed over was we didn't talk about your bartending, your MCing, your college radio station. Uh, so we missed out on the entire segment too. But another time, another time. Like again, thank you so much.